The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Matt Seidel, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping a Strong Style The Ace of Podcast On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we will review Secure Genesis and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get the podcast over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, we are 20 episodes away from episode 300. Oh, snap. Someone needs to... Uh... Reach out and hit up Rocky. See if he's going to come on for episode 300. <laughs> well, the funny thing, Rocky always, like, sees us, like, post about our episode, like, 100. Like, he saw us post about that. He jumped on. Then 200, he saw us post about that. He jumped on. So, we just got to send a tweet out. and He'll he'll jump on. Yeah, send, him a, send out a tweet and be like, 20 more episodes till episode 300. Rocky, Azuka Rock, where are you at? <laughs> <laughs> get it, Get it penciled in now. Yeah, and I, I don't see why he wouldn't want to come on the show again because, after all, right now, Jeremy, I feel like we are quite literally the smartest men in the room. We called it. We lined it up. We took our shot, and uh, we were right. We've been saying the same shit about what was going to happen at Sakura Genesis for four weeks now, and yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we got all the predictions correctly for the whole show. Uh, well, you know, I I pretty much last week said uh, I thought Okada was going to win, but um, I'm glad he didn't. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad that uh, so, you know, spoiler alert. I know it's early in the episode, but uh, Sonata finished the story. Yes, he did. 
Yeah, he did the work. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm happy that somebody in, in the wrestling world could finish their story this month. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to uh, episode 300, and I'm looking forward to reviewing this. And uh, I feel like, bro, I feel like so much stuff has happened this past week. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, like a, a bunch of news, like, dropped after Secure Genesis, a bunch of cards tour dates, match announcements, so we'll get into all of that, uh, but first thing that I want to uh, cover real quick was Switchblade Jay White. Na, 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 Hey, hey, hey. hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Switchblade, Jay White, he has uh, signed with All Elite Wrestling, and he made his AEW debut last Wednesday on Dynamite. Uh, The show opened up. It was supposed to be uh, Rock Hard, Juice Robinson versus Ricky Starks. As Ricky Starks was making his entrance, we heard the familiar Switchblade music. Out came Jay White, jumped Ricky Starks, him and Juice, beat down Ricky, and then the Bullet Club music started playing, and they threw up the old Prince Devitt handgun symbol and knocked hands together. Then we got the Tony Khan tweet, Jay White is all elite. Jay White retweeted saying, Bullet Club, black and gold. So, Josh, what are you, <laughs> you know, last <laughs> week we were, we were talking about, you know, Bullet Club Impact and Bullet Club Rogue Army, Bullet Club House of Torture. Yeah, speaking of somebody that needs to fucking finish the story, wrap it up. All right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, about a month away from the 10 year anniversary of Bullet Club, we now have a, a Bullet Club, AW, Bullet Club Black and Gold, however you want to call it. With Jay White and Juice Robinson, uh, what, what were your thoughts on uh, Jay White's AEW debut? Unfortunately for me, I uh, started the show just like I don't know a minute or two late, and as soon as like I got the the show running, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Why is Jay White out here? No, what? And, then, and I was I, I I was like I was just disappointed that I missed like whatever transpired prior to that um but it was cool you know to see that he's found a landing spot it was pretty much down to either AEW or wwe so not that surprising especially considering how uh seemed like sources within wwe were trying to bury the lead on this earlier this past week the the story broke oh nobody in wwe has been talking about jay white he was there's nothing mentioned about him over WrestleMania weekend. It's like, okay, well, we know what's happening on, on Wednesday now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um I, I, I do have to say I'm a little critical of um I'm glad for the guy that he's there. Um hopefully I think that there's probably very good things on the horizon for him in AW, although I've had my my uh, misgivings about that decision. I, at one point I felt like WWE might be the better landing spot, but you know, given recent changes in management and everything. Who knows if that was going to pan out for him long-term. I don't know. But uh, in terms of just the actual debut, I got to tell you, Jeremy, I did not think this was a good debut whatsoever. Okay. Because a couple of reasons. Number one, 
as, as good looking as Jay White is, as built as he is, and everything he's got a presence about him, no doubt. He just came out w- in jeans, looking regular, like just the <laughs> yeah. dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he came out at the very, very start of the show, and I, I don't know if the thought was like big surprise, Jay White, and a lot of people will tune in and that will bump the number up. Maybe that was successful. I didn't look at the ratings, but I don't know. I feel like he sh- like. He should have been a nine o'clock guy. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Top of the nine o'clock hour that, you know, that big quarter right there. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's a little, I don't know if, if, if I'm trying to kind of gauge where they see him today and obviously things can change. I don't know. Coming in at the very start of the show to align with juice to jump Ricky Starks doesn't scream world beater to me. I could think of probably 10 guys in the company that have had better introductions to the brand. Now, granted, they did introduce him to AEW prior to this when he like had his interactions with the Bucks and everything with Forbidden Door. But in terms of like, he, I'm here and I'm making a big splash. I didn't think that was the strongest uh, debut of a, of a new character. And um, I don't know him and Juice just doing Bullet Club again and trying to, I don't know, put the p- puzzle pieces together. I, I've been making jokes about all the various Bullet Clubs past couple weeks but now it's actually come to fruition there really are bullet club members in aw and pwa and new japan and impact all simultaneously plus wwe plays off of the bullet club brand as well yeah so it's getting a little bit long in the tooth i know we've said that a lot but you, you have a chance for a fresh start to do something new and exciting with the guy he just left new japan and they're they're going with the old hat. I don't think that's I don't know. To me, that's not that compelling, but hey, I might not be the right demographic. I'm sure that people that love Jay White are super excited to to see that he's throwing up the old, you know, the shooter uh symbol hand gesture. So I don't know. It just this did not scream to me Brian Danielson or CM Punk or Samoa Joe or Adam Cole, any number of big names they brought into the company, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, overall, I thought the debut was fine. It was uh, a way a good surprise. They, you know, they normally don't start dynamite off of an angle like that. So it did kind of catch your attention uh, when it was happening. Um, you know, like you, I did think that WWE could have been a better landing place for him um, I know with the whole, you know, merger with UFC um, and Endeavor taking over and Vince being back in control, there's always questions on whether or not Vince would have actually liked Jay, how he would have pushed Jay. Um, but just his promo ability, you know, his, his mid-match promos, the that kind of slower style, kind of storytelling style he likes to work, I feel like that could have worked really well for, a, for WWE their work rate style in production. I think you mean, I think the word you're looking for is cerebral. Yeah. Yeah. Cerebral assassin. He's cerebral (laughs) and methodical. Um, And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of him, you know, coming out as, as a bullet club member. You know, we had the whole loser leaves, you know, uh, new Japan loser leaves Japan. And I know, I know he wasn't kicked out, out of the bullet club per se but you know the whole story has been oh we we let jay go to go do his thing and so even with him landing in aw which is a partner of new japan 
I would have preferred if he was just his own man. New, he could still be Switchblade, but a different character, maybe a different turn, and not necessarily throwing him right back in Bullet Club. Well, obviously, there's an internal struggle going on within the Bullet Club, namely surrounding El Fantasmo as well as David Finley. We'll, we'll, we're going to talk more about that, but to me, this kind of undermines what's actually happening in New Japan and. I, I, I don't normally like to be one of those like, well, what about Japan guys? You know what I mean? I think yeah. there's space for both companies to kind of coexist, but this screams, we don't know what's going on with the bull club in Japan. And we're just going to borrow <laughs> the, the likeness or whatever. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe him and juice will spin off and do something that's start Like they'll start it off as teasing. Like this is the bull club and it will turn into its own thing which I think is probably the angle they should take here because why do you want to get bogged down in the weeds with internal struggle with the bull club when, I mean, the guy was already kicked out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like that, that's the thing about it is like David Finley is very likely, unless there's a major shift in the, the narrative of the story, he's pretty much consolidating power as the, the new leader. And he's the guy that sent Jay White packing out of the company. So how do you rectify from a, just a storytelling standpoint that he has started his own branch of the Bullet Club with Juice, who is supposedly aligned with the OG Bullet Club in Japan? That doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Now yeah. we're getting it's, – and it's too convoluted. We, we've spent way too many hours on this show talking about bullshit Bullet Club stories that ultimately almost never, ever, ever go anywhere. It just kind of sucks. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the, the end goal, maybe you do a, a Jay White versus David Finley match for Bidden Door. Winner is, yeah. is their actual leader. And I mean, they've had great matches against each other, but I don't know. I'm not screaming to see another Jay White, you know, David Finley matchup. We should have a tournament. <laughs> of all Bullet Club members, winner is, is the leader. All the top representative leaders um, of Bullet Club, you just throw them in there, round robin. And, uh, you know, it'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't have much more to say. It, the funny thing is so much news dropped even on that episode of AEW that, like, this kind of became an, like an afterthought. Um, I do think, though, and I will say this, we've always said how talented we think JY is. And as lackluster as I found the introduction of him as an official signed member to the AEW brand. I'm sure based on all of his skill sets that he's probably going to get a look. I don't know if I think that they'll maximize him or use him to his fullest potential necessarily. I'm not going to make those kinds of bold claims because I think that AEW has mishandled a lot of their top talent uh, pretty much across the board, but I wouldn't be surprised. This is just my guess. If he winds up being somebody that, wrestles the top guys wins sometimes loses and really busts his ass early on to kind of in endear himself to the brand kind of the same way how Roosh did that when he first got to the company same mm-hmm. way how Jay Lethal did that when he first got to the company and both guys elevate elevated their their stock in the in the company very quickly and so I wouldn't be surprised I'm not I don't I don't know if I see Jay White as tip top star in the company even just the way they introduced him doesn't scream that you know yeah he, he he's got like eight guys ahead of him at the very very least but i do see him on that i think he's gonna get at least 
at minimum to that tier with your Darby Allens and your Samoa Joes and your Wardlows, those guys who are just underneath, mm-hmm. you know, underneath guys like, you know, who are the top guys? <laughs> Kenny Omega, MJF, right. um, Brian Danielson, John Moxley. People like that. Adam Cole. Yeah. That, that, that whole, uh, uh, hangman, like probably just beneath them. And, the good thing for him and good thing for the company is like there's almost no match that they can do with him that isn't going to be fresh. Even the one, even the like rematches that are on the table, like Hangman and Kenny. There's big money in that. Those haven't those happened a very very long time ago. There's lots of history to kind of play off of, but there's tons of new guys for him to wrestle that he hasn't ever wrestled before. So it's going to be good, I think. Yeah, I think overall it, it will end up uh, being good. Uh, we do have a question here from at MarkNato1990 on Twitter. What happens with Jay White in AEW now? Is he hindered by his loss to Eddie Kingston and can't compete in New Japan US? Will they find a way to bring him back in BC adjacent? I do think that's an interesting um, take on it because, he, you know, from the kayfabe, he's not supposed to show up in New Japan. And, you know, I think that he will. just like how we've said it before you know um tenzon's not supposed to be throwing mongolian chops but he does you know and i i don't even think that they'll even take as much care or consideration to really give us a plausible explanation for it maybe maybe you know who's going to give us the best explanation is kevin kelly making it up on the spot (laughs) with no directive from the company whatsoever and he's going to be like He's not supposed to be here, but this is under the guidance of Tony Khan. That's going to be like his, you know, rationale or explanation. Right. Yeah. He's, I, he's here as an AEW guy. Um, you know, right. he's, you know, he's an outsider from AEW. He's not necessarily a new Japan contracted wrestler, but I think they all thought he was really going to WWE and that's why they made those strong stipulations. And now they're like, fuck, we might have to work with him again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure he thought he was going to WWE. I mean, I think he had tons of negotiations with them and reports say that they all kind of, fell through and management wasn't really following up with him towards the end and the whole merger. I'll thing. tell you what, I, this is just my speculation, but just from my personal, you know, um, experience in like business with, you know, a finance background, I think that once they started getting serious about the, uh, the merger talks, they just froze everything. And that's probably what happened. And what are you going to do? Tell the guy that you're not hiring, that the reason you're not hiring him is because you're about to merge with, the largest, you know, <laughs> other sports, like you, you're not going to tell him why, you right. know what I mean? We're, we're about to make more money so we can't hire you. <laughs> right. I think there was a lot of speculation about how the company viewed him and, you know, desire to sign him. And, and maybe some of that could possibly be true. We don't really know, but I think the most likely scenario is they were in talks to sign him and then they struck too late. And the merger took place. And once a merger starts happening, that's it. Finito. They start, they start freezing hiring and everything like that until the merger is done. And even after the merger is done, they're going to be laying off a lot of people. So, you know, they're probably not gonna be hiring. I mean, Eric Young's still been working for the company over a year and he doesn't do anything. He hasn't even like shown up to work and he's getting a lot of money paid to him. On that Lanny Poffo. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, uh, let's move on now and talk about uh, this past weekend, Sakura Genesis show. Great show from top to bottom. Uh, it's really... You didn't think it was a great show? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, I thought the show was great. 
Yeah. So uh, we'll start from the opening match, work our way down to the main event, uh, break down everything, talk about all the news, and answer uh, all the listener questions that came in for this. Uh, so the show opened up with the uh, Shinichi Champion Grand Prix Celebration six-man tag team match. So this was a, a, a mystery tag where uh, the opponents were you know, picked by you know, the host of that Shinichi Championship Grand Prix show in that celebration of that show. And so that she came out, she was doing the ring announcing, and she uh, put together this match here. And so it was uh, Great Okan, Minoru Suzuki, and Toriano teaming up to defeat El Desperado, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Yo, 13 minutes and 10 seconds. This was really fun and really funny. Just, you know, I think it was a great way to kind of open the show too because there's that that sort of just unpredictable element because not only are we breaching faction lines, we're also breaching like, uh, you know, good guy versus bad guy sort of face heel dynamics and alignments here as well as kind of um, negating all the history that sort of exists amongst the different people in this match. So it was Mm -hmm. just a really fun and funky, um, you know, mismatch of guys. And it'd be one thing if it was just like a mystery vortex, we threw, we threw everybody in there and it's sort of like an indie show, you know, whatever, but that's not what happened here. This was like, they're still playing into the kayfabe of it all. So you got like, Okan in there who has all this like heat and history with Toriano over the never title. And then like, you know, uh, Suzuki and Yano have had like, they're like basically like sworn enemies and they all have to kind of coexist and team together. And they're all, you know, heavyweights. And then on the other side, you got Yo and Tanahashi. Well, that makes sense. Hantai and chaos, but then Desperado's there from Strong Style, and then you kind of consider like his ties with Suzuki, and they're on opposite sides of one another. And yeah, I mean, it, they're they're two thirds of the never six man champions. <laughs> yeah, this was awesome. And then not only that, like you've got um, the first team is all heavyweights, and then the second team is like two juniors and a and a heavyweight. And you're like, this is so freaking weird and just hilarious and funny. And the way they worked the match really played up into the the gimmicks of everything and played off one another really, really well. And we even got to a point at one point like where Suzuki and Despi were like just teaming together and fighting other people from their <laughs> own teams. Yeah, at the beginning <laughs> of the match, like everybody was like fighting who's going to go in first. And then like, yeah, Despi and Suzuki just like ended up like attacking Yo. <laughs> uh, then they started the match off. So yeah, it was really a fun interaction. I love that they played up on the history. And you know, it was hilarious, you know, Yano being stuck with Suzuki and Okan, like two like kind of like monster guys that are always like torturing him, and he's like you know being afraid to tag them in, and his interaction yeah. with them was like hilarious. Um, and so yeah, it came down to the end where uh, Yo and Desperado they weren't working well together. Um, you know, Tanahashi was trying to you know be the ring general and kind of guide them on the triple teams, uh, but then eventually uh, Desperado was holding on to Yano. And um, Yo ended up punching Despi, um, and then they were brawling on the outside, which led to a distraction. And Yano low blow Tanahashi, rolled him up one, two, three. Yano, Suzuki, and Okan got the win here. Yeah, very, very fun. I, I think I'm getting sick and tired of Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton not doing their jobs. Okay. If you're looking at the monitor and it keeps going out when Yano low blows somebody, then we need to do something about that. We need to get someone from the tech department to fix these freaking monitors. I'm tired of them missing the call every weekend and week out for years on end. 
uh, it almost makes you think something's not on the up and up when it comes to them and Yano matches, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, something's a little fishy. They they need to have somebody there monitoring the cables, uh, the visuals, you know, make sure everything's the way it's supposed to be. I think someone needs to be monitoring the commentary team, make sure that, you know, they're not getting paid off on the side. I, I hear that Yano does very well with his DVD sales, and mm. I just think it's suspicious, you know? He does have that restaurant. Maybe he's offering, you know, free drinks, you know? Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to besmirch the good name of Kevin Kelly, but you just never know. It just seems implausible at this point that he keeps missing all these low blows. <laughs> uh, we had a question from at Mark NATO nineteen ninety. He says, "Would you like to see more mixed faction six mans like the opening match? Who would be a dream three person cross faction team?" Oh, awesome! Um, yeah, I would love to see more of these. For me, a dream three-person faction team would be like Hogan, Warrior, <laughs> and Macho Man Randy Savage. How about uh, current day, New Japan? Oh, Goldberg? Um, <laughs> Bolton Oleg. And, <laughs> and let's call him Brock Lesnar. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let's get that going. Um, no, I don't know. What's a three-man team you'd like to see? Uh, how about uh, Will Ospreay, Shingo Takagi, <laughs> um, and Tomohiro Ishii? I knew you were going to say I knew it. I knew. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, you know, a bunch of rivals there. You know, Shingo, Ishii have beef. Shingo and Will have beef, you know. I don't know. This is this is too uh, on the spot. I don't know. Let's uh, let's go Doki. Okay, mm-hmm. Doki number one. Um, uh, Yoshihashi and uh, Hama, <laughs> the ultimate underdog team. <laughs> oh man, that and team. Then, would... You la- you laugh, but I feel like they'd have a good match and probably win. Yeah. If they would have just the visual of those like three guys being put together, knowing their history and how traditionally fans thought about each one of those guys at one point in time, but all three of them are super hard workers and they would probably be the the, the standout team in that match. Yeah, that's why I put them together. <laughs> well, let's move on to the next matchup here. So we had the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Francisco Akira, and Jeff Cobb defeating the House of Torture team of Evil Show. And Yujiro Takahashi, eight minutes and one second. One last thing I forgot to mention. Were you surprised that the heavyweight on the losing team, Tanahashi, was the one who took the pinfall loss here? Yeah, that was uh, kind of surprising, especially since it is, you know, Tanahashi. Uh, you know, he's usually protected in some of these kind of multi-man situations. So, yeah, to me, I was like, oh, Yo is clearly <laughs> getting pinned here. It'd be one thing if he was still missing teeth, but he got his teeth fixed, so... I assumed his powers would be back, but they're treating him like he's toothless still. <laughs> Maybe they think down bad. They didn't get the memo. He, yeah. came, he came out there with the full teeth. They're like, oh, crap. Too late to change, <laughs> too late to change the finish. <laughs> Aaron Hanare, Francesco Akira, and Jeff Cobb, they defeated House of Torture. I don't have a lot of memory about this. Was this even setting anything up? Um, not really. I mean, it was just kind of there. Um you know, fun six-man matchup there. Always good to see House of Torture eating an L. Um, the big setup post-match, you had a... That's not the only thing that can eat. <laughs> uh, 
uh, Francisco <laughs> Akira, uh, he accepted the challenge from uh, the Jet Setters, Kushida and Kevin Knight. So we do have a scheduled date for Catch 2-2, Akira and TJP defending against the Jet Setters, Kushida and Kevin Knight. I've been digging Francesco Akira going up to the English announce table and then um, shouting Italian profanities over the air. Yeah, it's hilarious. And Kevin's like, you can't say that. <laughs> I don't even know what he's saying, but it's hilarious. Uh, we had a question here from uh, Bartnado1990. Did you get a chance to go back and watch Shingo versus Nare? And would you give it five and a quarter stars? I thought it was very hard hitting. But they could have had some of the falls earlier in the match. Seemed like 25 minutes of a regular match, and then the last 10 minutes getting five falls. Yeah, this seems a little excessive. Um, I mean, Jeremy, what what did you rate this match? Uh, I'm like four and a half to four point seven five. Um, I thought it was a very hard hitting match. I thought it was well worked for the you know the ultimate triad um, stipulation. Kind of like Mark is saying here, I do think some of the falls could have been uh, done sooner in the match because um, you know the whole gimmick was like you had, spread out. Yeah, you had to get um, you know a submission, a pinfall, and a knockout. Well, you know they didn't get like the first two falls until like he said like after twenty five minutes, and then they got the submissions, and then Shingo got the knockout. So it could have been a little bit paced a little bit better, but overall, I, I thought it was great. I thought Hanari looked great. I thought this performance elevated him. And I thought that was uh, recognizable with the crowd reaction that he got in this six-man match. I feel like when he tagged in, the crowd kind of popped uh, for him. So I do think this match helped elevate him. I'm not sure I'm as high as Dave with the, with the five and a quarter stars. but Dave, definitely Dave that, loves these like drawn-out, never-style uh, KOPW title defenses from Shingo. Like, remember, he, he, went, what, he went five stars on him and Taichi from late last year right yeah that that, uh, that similar uh, texas death match styles uh, uh which I, I thought that was fantastic but i didn't think that was five stars and um yeah yeah but i'm like four and a half four point seven five i definitely think it's um potentially a strong style fight of the year candidate and definitely as of right now a potential candidate for match of the year sounds like you're four and a half plus is what it sounds like yeah i'm four point six 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 repeating nice <laughs> Uh, so moving on to the next match, we had uh, just five guys, Doki, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. Of course, with Taka, they defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Naito in 9 minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah, and uh, we kind of got the debut of Kanamaru's new... Um outfit or new uh gear yeah, so he, he's kind of he's not the only you know sonata's not the only one in the the group with the new look kanemaru uh sporting something that's a, a, a lot less grimy than what we've been seeing from him from the past few years in fact this outfit very much although it was a lot more sparkly it very much more uh reminded me like it was reminiscent of the type of gear that he wore in his heyday during his like noah run yeah yeah, he debuted those uh, last week during the uh, the road to uh, oh show. the shows I didn't watch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he looked well, great. For me, it doesn't count unless it's on the big show. <laughs> that, that Don Callis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Kamaru looked great. He's like, yeah, I'm getting a push. Oh, I'll, I'll get the new gear. <laughs> I'll get the jacket. I'll, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he is a guy that we've been saying for a while has been, you know, I don't want to say improved because he's an all time legend, but like. 
he's been putting in a lot more effort and thought and work into, you know, his matches. So that's, that's good that they're finally giving him a push. Yeah. So this match came down with um, all three of the members of just five guys having triple submissions on on LIJ and uh, Bushi uh, submitted to get uh, the win for just five guys. And then uh, post-match, Doki got Naito in the Italian stretch number two and challenged Naito for a singles match. So we know that we have the date for that. That's going to be coming up on the road to wrestling down Taku, Doki versus Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, the uh, I, I saw someone online call this the best of the um, CMLL excursions singles invitational match. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and also uh, we had Shingo Takagi and Taichi going face to face, and we do know that there will be another upcoming KOPW provisional title match between Shingo and Taichi, and we'll get to all the match announcements um, after this uh, review. So then next up, we had uh, the Bull Club team of David Finley, El Fantasmo, and Kenta defeating the Girls of Destiny, Hikaleo and Tamatanga, and Master Wato, 8 minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah, this was exactly what it needed to be, and I think uh, we were a little bit off, or at least I know I was. Um, you know, you'd mentioned last week that there was a high possibility for an angle, and I kind of said, well, you know, there might be... Uh, a, a tease of an angle, but I expect this to kind of just be the the setup for a hot blow off coming up in, you know, in May at Dantaku. But uh, I do expect there to still be a, an even bigger angle down the road for the next big show. But this was not a little angle by any means or stretch of the imagination. Like everything that's been uh, building up between ELP and uh, David Finley came to a head here. These guys were, uh, very much at odds with one another all throughout the match, not wanting to tag when they did, it was with punches and, you know, chest slaps and, and all sorts of um, signs of disrespect one to another. And yeah, it was very, very heated all throughout the match. They just were not on the same page whatsoever. Yeah. Before the match, uh, ELP gave one of his hats to one of the kids in the crowd. Uh, Finley did not like that went over through the hat. And then uh, ELP on the slide gave the kid one of his shirts. Um, so, yeah, even from before the bell, <laughs> these guys were uh, not getting along. Um, and so the finish was uh, ELP uh, hitting the sudden death on uh, Watto to get the win for, for the Bull Club team. But then uh, post-match, there was a, a beatdown of Hikaleo, Tama, and Watto. And, you know, ELP, he, was, uh, he pulled Finley off of Tama Tonga. And after, you know, Finley was holding up the strong, the uh, the never title, and Kento was holding up the strong title, and then yeah, ELP pulled off uh, Finley off of Tamatonga, which then led to, uh, you know, Finley and ELP uh, kind of going to blows, and then Kenta was trying to play the peacemaker, got in between them. He was, it looked like he was, you know, siding with El Fantasmo, but no, picks this man up, bow, GTS, go to sleep, Drops El Fantasma with the, uh, the GTS. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of Sopranos lately, and you know, you just can't trust anybody. I, I, I couldn't live in an environment or operate in an environment like the Bullet Club because I've seen what they've done to so many countless others. I would just always be paranoid that I'm the next to go. <laughs> Apparently, ELP didn't have those same worries. You know, yeah, he thought Ishimori he was- comes down and and he he thinks this dude's on his side, like. 
did you not see what they just did to Tamatonga just <laughs> last year? Yeah, well, you know, his uh, Bullet Club's cutest tag team partner, you know, Taiji Ishimori, you know, their former IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions, you know, he thought he was going to come in and make a save, but yeah, Taiji slides in, He's he looks like he's about to stop Finley from hitting uh, ELP with the shillelagh, but nope, he low blows uh, El Phantasmo, and all three of them beat him down, and they, they lift him up, and uh, Finley hits ELP with the shillelagh, and it seems like El Phantasmo has been officially kicked out of Bullet Club. I'm also going to say this, calling it right now, um, we've seen David Finley work all throughout um, you know, the New Japan Cup, and since then, pretty much straight-laced, just clean wins via, you know, definitely like a vicious heel persona, but he didn't have any kind of like cheating methods necessarily with the reintroduction of the shillelagh, get ready for that to become a staple of his matches and, and a a source for his victories, because I think that they're, they're probably going to, you know, tell a story where there was an X factor missing. And probably that's part of the reason why he maybe wasn't able to win at the new Japan cup finals the shillelagh is going to become a staple of his matches. I guarantee it. Yeah. So there's some questions here. Uh, Hawaiian Punch BB says, is Taiji the biggest trader in the world or the most loyal friend you can have? Wow. He, he left Noah, which was his first true home in Puro. He betrayed Tama, who brought him into Bull Club. He betrayed ELP, who was his tag partner. All that being said, he was always stuck with Kenta, who helped him find his footing in Noah. Well, I think you have the answer right there. Look at the look at the types of guys that he's kicked out of the group, and look at the type of guy that he's stuck by his side. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> uh, stuck with his uh, brother, and <laughs> I'm not going to say it, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Eight ninety says, do you think ELP's replacement? Is the Space Wolf thing in the mystery video package? Oh, yeah, because I did see that a um, couple things I did like. Da- uh, I don't know if you caught this, Jeremy. I think it was via the post-match comments. Uh, David Finley said that they have a replacement in mind already for ELP. So I, I don't know if I'm necessarily a fan of them adding more members um, to Blue Club. But if there is, if they're going to add one, maybe hopefully it's somebody cool. I don't know. But... One thing he also mentioned, and I, I think it's worth mentioning here, he mentioned how there was a Bullet Club that had just recently sprung up in AEW, and he was like, "Dude, it doesn't matter if you're in, you know, AEW or Impact or you know, Australia. I'm the leader of the Bullet Club. I, you know, he's like, I literally kicked David or uh, Jay White out of the comp out of this company with this shillelagh, and he is like, and if." anyone's trying to sport, you know, the brand or whatever, if they're not like under my leadership and authority, they're not bullet club. (laughs) Yeah. So like he kind of made it clear, like that there is a disconnect between (laughs) the real bullet club and then whatever the fuck's going on in (laughs) AEW. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Okay. And also asked, will will ELP join a NJPW fascist faction or does he join the more heelish AEW J and Juice faction? That is an interesting take. I mean, I don't know where where he goes from here. Um, 
they are they seem to be baby facing him you know mm-hmm. um giving him i mean he's never done anything like that like remember he used to make little kids cry when right he first started this company so the fact that he's like giving them gifts and stuff that's a total 180 from what he was in the past yeah, I could definitely see him joining Huntai since he was trying to save Tama, you know, join up with Huntai, or who knows, maybe he could start his own faction. Here's my only problem with that. You've already got two factions currently that have Gaijin leaders. I feel like they don't need a third one right now, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like if you want him to succeed on a main event level, sometimes it kind of feels like that's the key, you know? Right, yeah. Plus, I don't know, Tamatonga feels like a pretty high-up member of Hantai as, as it is. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Um, I do think that they might, hypothetically, they could go full-blown WCW and like do another Bull Club faction with him as the leader. And then they have a full-on civil war. I know that's something that people have been speculating about for years and years and you know, having wet dreams about it, <laughs> but it feels like they might actually do that because I am kind of wondering, like, where does he land? You know, is he going to be like Lij? <laughs> <laughs> he is El Fantasmo. Yeah, like, is he <laughs> is he going to put the mask back on and and join up with a, uh, you know, the other luchadors in Lij? He could. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where he lands. Yeah, it's well, that's, a, that's a fun thing about it. Like, we don't know. I think there's a lot of options that they can do. Uh, but yeah. ult- ultimately, I do see him being a babyface based off of him uh, getting jumped and turned on. I would say yes, but then again, you know, Kevin Nash was a, a babyface, but then the next night he got finger-poked by Hogan, and then it was all big riff. They all turned heel again, so you never know. Mm. <laughs> uh, history, history repeats itself, Jeremy. That, that, that's true. Yeah, time's a flat circle. Uh, Last Commission 7252, did the Bull Club angle benefit Dave Finley to be taken seriously by fans that questioned his heel turn two months ago? He made ELP become a beloved babyface by kicking him out of the group and even turning his best friend and partner Ishimori against him, solidifying Finley as a true heel. Um, I think it's a good piece of business as it pertains to like New Japan's kayfabe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like for the fans that are really tuned in and, and bought into the brand and kind of accept this on its face, I think it's good. I don't think that you're more casual new Japan viewer. And those do exist. The people that kind of just, you know, parachute in and cherry pick for the big shows. Um, I don't know if this fully would, you know, convince them to take David Finley more seriously at this point you know what i mean yeah i mean i i thought his work in the new japan cup was great and the whole the initial turn on jay at battle in the valley i thought everything that they've done with him so far has helped his credibility and elevated him from kind of that status that he was when he was just you know in hontai to where he is now um I agree. I, I think that the other thing this did too was it followed the more traditional roots of what Bullet Club, what Bullet Club does to people when they step out of the ranks or you know fall out of line or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think that sort of helps his case as being true blue Bullet Club at this point. You know, the real leader because they're they're utilizing classic Bullet Club tactics at that point. Yeah. 
Uh, Rambone Slam Pig asks, he says, I'm looking forward to seeing El Phantasma moving forward as a face without the burden of the latter-day watered-down Bullet Club. Where do you see him landing, and what do you think comes next for him? That's a tough one. Um, you know, I think it kind of echoes some of the concerns I mentioned um, just a little just a little bit ago because he is a gaijin, and there, I mean, obviously with Jay White leaving, that opens up a slot at the top, and you could make the argument that maybe Sonata has sort of already kind of you know gotten into that role but there was always kind of a thing of like who is the top you know for westerner or foreigner in the company and for a long time that was jay white i think right now it's pretty clear that it's most likely will osprey but we've talked about how jay white's departure has kind of created a bit of a power vacuum along with other people that have left the company like you know kota abushi for instance mm-hmm. So maybe there's space for him, but it's kind of crowded right now. You've got Zack Sabre Jr., who's right up there. You've got Tamatonga, who's right up there. And then with ELP sort of making getting a push and, and making a turn, it really does depend on where he lands because um, I don't know. I, I, I think if he's in Hontai, it's kind of going to become like a unspoken issue where it's like, him and Tamatonga on page on screen. They're like on the, in the same group, but like realistically they're vying for that same spot in the pecking order sort Mm, of thing. Yeah. Which might be good. That might create more urgency from both of them to put their best foot forward, which, you know, they always do, but even more so, but um, I don't know. I don't know. um, You know, cause I think a lot of people want to see ELP pushed to the next level. And so far, I mean, he had some really great um, accolades at junior, but he never did win the junior title and he's never held a, a singles title in new Japan at all. So I kind of feel like the never belt is the next logical step for a guy like him. But I think there's people angling for him to be like a top, top guy in the company. Yeah. And I think, you know, he has the potential to get there, but I, I think it's, you know, one step at a time for him. And I do think the never titles, Seems to make sense, especially, you know, you're going to have Finley and Tamatonga battling over that. If Finley wins and you do a Finley ELP match, and then that could be uh, a big never title matchup between those guys. Finley's another example, you know, and then you throw in like a Jeff Cobb and, and like a Tom Lawler. You got a lot of top, you know, Western Gaijin talent that are all kind of vying for the same place, you know? Mm hmm. And then last question here from the Dark Soldier says, Taiji betrayed Phantasmo. Top 10 anime betrayals? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought he was asking us to list the top 10 anime betrayals. Like, yeah. I can't give you a top 10. No, I think he's asking if this is this, this qualifies for a top 10 anime betrayal. Nah, because this shit's real. <laughs> this really happened to a real man. It's His name's L. <laughs> First name L, last name Phantasmo. <laughs> yeah. So uh, following that match, we got the announcement. Trying to get all that Nintendo on our show. <laughs> all that lore. <laughs> it's all Nintendo. Uh, so following that match, we had the announcement for G Max Climax G One Climax twenty twenty three. G Max Climax. G One Climax twenty twenty three. So the tournament this year will kick off July 15th, and it will go all the way to August 13th. 
So we got 19 nights over 30 days. The last two nights will be in Ryogoku Sumo Hall, August 12th, August 13th. So we're, you know, not at Budokan like we have been in past several years. And it's only the, the final two nights that are in Sumo Hall. So we don't know yet if we're going back to the two-block format or if it's going to be uh, the four-block format that they used last year. Sounds based on the dates, like we are most likely going back to a 20 man tournament, mm-hmm. but uh, that remains to be seen. Um, we'll, we'll find out more as time goes on, but um, my guess with how many shifts and changes and, and things like that have taken place in this company in recent times, I'm not going to be surprised if we see a major shakeup when it comes to um, who gets in and who gets out of the G1 this year. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what the final lineup is going to end up looking like because, yeah, so many people have been getting pushed. There's so many, you know, guys from, like, the strong brand they can bring in. There's a ton of talent that they have access to that they can really make a, a really great tournament. Don't don't get too hung up on that whole thing with strong. I think it's more likely we see, like, you know, Shima <laughs> instead of, like, Coglin. <laughs> I mean, at this point, probably. <laughs> You think I'm tell me when I'm telling lies. <laughs> As Bobby Fish would say, where's the lie? Where's the lie? <laughs> so after that, we had the IWGP women's title three-way match. Mercedes Monet defeats Azumi and Hazuki 13 minutes and 53 seconds. And uh that dude named Menace asked thoughts on the women's triple threat match. So, young boy, what do you think about this uh, matchup here? Pretty good. After that, the <laughs> <energy to go. laughs> what? Uh, no further uh, thoughts on it. <laughs> I told you, man, a few words. <laughs> I've always been known on the show for my brevity. You know, mm. get in, get out, get done. <laughs> nah. Um, <laughs> You know, Jeremy, I got to tell you, um, I think in the short time that the quote unquote women's division has existed in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and especially since this title has been introduced, um, I know there haven't been many matches, but to me, I think this was easily the second best women's match in New Japan following the inaugural title match between uh uh, Kyrie and Mayu. Um, I liked this a lot better than what was admittedly a classic match between uh, Mercedes Renato, not Renato, Mercedes Monet and um, Kyrie in America. Where was that? That was in California? Yeah, Battle in the Valley. Yeah, I liked this a lot more than the Battle in the Valley match, which that was very good, but this blew that away. And um, I know last week, I had some critical things to say about not so much Sasha, but some of it is, you know, some of the things I did say were pointed at her more. So a lot of it was pointed at the fan base, but uh, I'm, I, I'll be the first to admit I had some various, um, some very serious sort of misgivings about whether or not Sasha could work this style of match. Um, of course, I keep calling her Sasha. We all know that Mercedes is, you know, or at least if you talk to someone that's really um, knowledgeable about pro wrestling, they'll probably admit that at worst, Mercedes is probably a top five 
women or uh, U.S. women's product of all time, but many people consider her the best, myself included. Mm-hmm. But you know, working in America, working under the WWE banner, that's a very different um, style than the style that is you know used in Japan, namely in Stardom. And not only that, there's a variety of different style of matches within under the stardom banner, you know, a lot of different type of performers, a lot of different types of matches. And um, her challengers, Izumi and Hazuki, they both are very much well known for their work within the high speed division. And I just wasn't really sure as good as Mercedes is. I've never denied how great she is, but I really was not confident that she could work that type of technical fast paced high octane work rate style. And the only thing that she'd ever really done that I personally recall that even kind of somewhat resembles that is maybe like, remember they had that women's four way for the title with all the, uh, the horsewomen back in NXT years ago. Yeah. One of the takeovers. That might be the closest thing I can think of that we've seen to her being able to do this. And they went out there and they had what was, in my opinion, the second best match of the night and a true classic. I mean, in under 15, this has got to be one of the best sub 15 minute matches I've seen in a long, long time. I just thought it was really excellent. I thought that it was laid out super well. All three girls looked like top world-class athletes and performers. Um, And Mercedes proved to the doubters, myself included, that she belongs in this division and is every bit the talent that these other girls are. Now, I will say, I do think that she was probably, as crazy as this sounds, the least of the three girls in the match. But she proved that she can hang with them at this level, having never done a match in that style ever before, you know, not, or at least to public eyes. And not only that, she took her lumps. I mean, there's that um, pretty famous uh, gif that's kind of going around the internet where uh, Hazuki's over her and she's raining down forearms and one, one live round just catches her like flush in the jaw. And I know a lot, I saw a lot of the uh, the crew were, were you know, um, clutching their <laughs> pearls and, and freaking out about it. And I'm like, yeah, if she stays working in Japan, that's going to be the least of her worries because this was light compared to what some of the other girls like, you know, Shuri. and Right. Uh, yeah. Get in there with Shuri. <laughs> yeah. Like it's going to be that's going to be a whole different story. But um, I think that. I think Mercedes. At this point has earned my respect enough, and I mean, my respect doesn't mean anything, but as a fan and as someone who breaks down wrestling, I feel that even though she didn't grow up doing this style, she is so adaptable and so talented that given just a little bit more time, I think that she could easily be at the top with many of the other the women that are at the top of stardom. There's no reason that she wouldn't be able to, um, you know, excel working this style, uh, you know, and granted, I know this was high speed, but I think that she probably had a large hand in laying this match out. Like her fingerprints, the the way it was laid out and the segments and the sequences, they just screamed like peak women's NXT heyday, you know, like match layout. Mm-hmm. And that's something I don't think people give her enough credit for is like the, the type of exposure she had to doing those types of matches. And this, this, yeah, this had her thumbprints and fingerprints all over it. I was just, Really, really impressed, uh, top to bottom. I thought this was a classic. 
Yeah, I thought it was a great matchup. I thought uh, Mercedes looked great. Like you're saying, yeah, she really showed that she could do that high-speed style. Um, obviously, you know, Hazuki and Azumi, they do this style in their sleep, and obviously they're excellent at it. Um, so, you know, obviously they were one step ahead of her, but she still hung in there with them. There was no parts of the match that I felt were sloppy or broke apart. Um, there, was, there was one weird botch where, like, Someone was supposed to get hit, and then like Sasha, like I, there was like a foot that was supposed to connect. I don't know if yeah, okay. towards the very end. Yeah, that was that one spot. But besides that, I thought everything else looked really great. And yeah, Mercedes looked great, and there's great spots up there. You know, they had the traditional, like you were saying, like the Tower of Doom spot. Definitely seemed like a typical, like uh, you know, Western American, you know, multi man. Let's do a Tower of Doom spot. So there was there was that that was great, and Mercedes was all over the place with the uh, you know the Meteora double knees and yep. Uh, uh, really great. They even had, you know, the typical um, stardom, you know, dive to the outside with, with the stardom young girls there catching people on the dive when Azumi did the big crossbody. They were they were all diving, and it was really awesome. I loved the, like, you know, the se- sequences where it's like, I'm submitting you. No, now I'm submitting you. No, now I'm pinning you. Now I'm pinning you. And it's like back and forth, back and mm-hmm. forth. I'm like, oh, this, this rules. Like, this is so much fun. Yeah. Um, and then uh, towards the end of the matchup, um, uh, Mercedes dropped uh, Azumi with the moneymaker onto Azuki and uh, got the pin and retained the championship. Uh, then after the match, Mayu Iwatani walked down to the ring and challenged Mane for the title, uh, Yokohama Arena. Uh, Mane tried to say something in the mic. It didn't work, but she ended up slapping uh, Mayu and walking off of her title. Oh, see, I didn't catch that. I thought that that was a choice. I guess I wasn't paying enough attention. I thought she was about to say something and then she just dropped the mic and slapped her. And I was like, oh, she's going to let her fist do her talking. Uh, maybe that, maybe that's what she was trying to do, but it, it looked like she was trying to say something like a, a quick one liner. You're, you're probably right. Looking at one of the questions here, they also implied that there was a mishap. So I, I must be mistaken, but to me it came off like, oh, she wants to smoke like this. Let's go. This yeah. is cool. So, where were you we, uh, star ratings wise? Um, like four and a quarter that's plus. What, that's what I'm at. Four and a quarter. Like I can't go four and a half, but I liked this a lot. Like I really, 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 really liked it. And I mean, you know, you're talking about a a, a 14 minute match going four and a quarter. Like that's excellent. That's great. Yeah. Uh, question here from Yasmin says, "How do you feel about there being a women's division?" Now that we've had it for six plus months, personally, I'm still not sold on it, even though it had some good matches, but I think stardom is better. Uh, I mean, I don't really know how to kind of unpack that because, I mean, this is in many ways, you know, hypothetically connected to stardom. So, (laughs) you know, um, keep in mind, stardom and New Japan are brother and sister promotions. They're all under the Bushi Road banner. Um, I don't see it necessarily as competition with each other, although I've given you guys my tinfoil hat conspiracy theories about my concerns of what this could lead to down the road. Um, But as it stands now, I mean, right now, what is this really? It's kind of just a showcase thing to give opportunity to girls. And do I think that they've done a, a blow away job with it so far? Like, no, but there's been some cool things. We've gotten some really great matches. Uh, it's given a, a, a spotlight and a landing place for Mercedes after her, you know, uh, exodus from WWE. And that's kind of been a cool thing. I don't know 
if it's as viable financially for the company as they would have hoped it to be. But I mean, based judging off of some of the, some of the numbers we saw from the wrestle kingdom, um, you know, even for just that alone, that's probably been beneficial. Plus they did the great gate in, uh, in, uh, where was that? But where, where was that show? San Francisco? Uh, Francisco, Or was it San Jose? I think it was San Jose. It was San Jose. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a couple of good things have come out of that. We've had some great matches. There've been some mishaps, obviously. And I do think it's kind of weird how this feels, you know, based on what I'm told, I don't watch stardom regularly, but this is almost a non-factor in stardom. I'd like there to be more cohesion between it and stardom, but you know, then you're getting into the weeds because this is like an IWGP title, but it's not the top title. It's, it's weird, you know, but I think there's good. I think there's bad. I think there's things they could work on, but um, I think next with them having a big show and this title being on that show and having a, a huge money match between Mayu and, and Sasha that in stardom, um, that's going to be a big deal. And they, they haven't done anything in stardom with this belt yet. So that's kind of the next step and the next, uh, I guess, test, you know? Yeah. Right now it's, it's even very hard to even call it a division. Um, cause like you said, it's, there's, they've been doing a few spotlight matches and they're using women from stardom. I mean, uh, Mercedes is the only woman that's not in stardom that they have been using on these shows. I know that the plan, I think in the future in the U S they'll probably start using indie women or unsigned, uh, you know, American talent, maybe even some AW women to challenge for that title on us shows, but for the most part, we're seeing stardom talent. Mercedes is signed to Bushi Road, um, so we don't really quite have a division. We're just having these, you know, highlight matches on some of these big shows. So, I mean, the, the matches overall have all been great, probably for the exception of the, the Wrestle Kingdom match, because it, it went super short for the the angle to debut uh, Mercedes. Even even that was excellent for what it was, right? And so all the, the inner ring stuff has been great, but. You know, we're not seeing any builds on the road to shows. We're not getting promos. Uh, There's not really the the company doesn't really talk about it until the matches happen. And it's a last minute announcement on social media. Oh, by the way, we're having this uh, three way women's title match this Saturday. (laughs) Check it out. You're absolutely right. And you know what? I wish that's something I had thought of saying just then. I'm glad you brought it up and something we probably should have discussed last week when we had Karen on the show. Because you're absolutely right. Um, you know, from, from all reports, people that we've heard from, it sounds like this was an initiative from Bushi Road and from higher up management, not necessarily like Gato's whole bag. So it, it's not something that is being promoted on regular week to week television or, you know, on the regular Road 2 shows. It's not something that's being discussed in their social media it is kind of a non-factor until it's time to trot the girls out, which, you know, that's pretty much like fabulous moolah-ism, you know? <laughs> Seriously, yeah. They're not working, you know, they're, they're working like uh, June Byers and, and the girls from, from, you know, that side of things, but they're being promoted like it's just a added attraction, you know, which is probably not the, the right way to go with this. And another reason why I said there's good and bad with this. Yeah. You know, it's one of those situations, it's kind of like when your parents, there's one kid they make you play with, even though you, you, you didn't want to be friends with that kid. Like, no, you, you got to play with that kid. You got to invite him to the party. You're like, No, it's like, that's a good analogy, Jeremy, but it's like your little cousin that you don't want to 
you know, they, they come over for the summer and they're like, all right, I'm going to my friend's house. Yeah. And you're taking your cousin with you. You're like, dude, he's, he's seven. I'm nine. What are you talking about? He's not coming with me. You know, mm-hmm. he's still into like Teletubbies. No, <laughs> yeah. we're going on an adventure. He's a little kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, next question here from uh, Oscar Rooney says, do you think Mercedes Monet will be able to conquer her toughest opponent in Japan? The microphone so far she's O and two. If you also take into account her, uh, <laughs> her promotional videos and, um, you know, press conferences, she might have an even deeper, you know, uh, no win streak. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, but yeah, that, that's pretty funny. There but, was uh, one funny spot in this match where towards the beginning, uh, she was talking to Azumi and she's like trying to get her handshake. And she was like, AZM, AZM. And she's like, I'm no AZM, Azumi. Oh, <laughs> Azumi. And shakes her hand and they jumped Hazuki. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Azumi got heated at the press conference and she's like, it says AZM, but it's my name is Azumi. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, I guess the last thing I'll just kind of say about all this is like, I know I had some critical takes last week and I, I pretty much stand by them because I still, I do still have some concerns as it pertains to the Sasha experiment. Um, not because I don't like Mercedes. I like her a lot and I would love to see her stick around and, and continue to compete. Even if it's not as champion or as champion, it doesn't matter. Um, I think she's an incredible addition. And I think long-term um, she could really thrive in this uh, environment. And I think she could be a, a huge benefit to the boom that's ongoing with women's wrestling in Japan. My concerns are more so along the lines of like, how does the company companies and therefore the talents that are working in the companies benefit from all this. If it's just a cup of coffee, you know, run where she's here, she works these matches, they're all great, but then it's really just gearing up for her to potentially go back to say WWE or to a long-term deal with AEW. And I mean, I don't know, I guess it's okay. Like it's kind of similar in some respects to like what happened with Jonah Mm-hmm. But we kind of have a bad taste in our mouth after what happened with Jonah because the dude's working, you know, main, main event, event. <laughs> against Dexter Work- Loomis. <laughs> He's working Dexter Loomis. Sky beat Okada. Like the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> so I think that's part of my concern, and more so, not even her. I guess the other thing too, and we should probably bring it up since we're on the topic. There's already issues with the Sasha crew. Because they're angling for her to headline this. They're working what Yokohama Arena? Yeah, so April 23rd, Yokohama Arena, Stardom All-Star Grand Queendom. Now, keep in mind, again, I'm not the biggest expert when it comes to Stardom. But the Red Belt match that's taking place is Tam Nakano and Julia. Literally the biggest, most heat-filled, hate-filled rivalry of the past two or three years in the company and it's finally happening for the top title there's no way there's no way that there's any match that you can probably think of that should go above that at a big yokohama arena show but her fans who are very much unreasonable are already clamoring for her and mayu 
to headline the show. And like, that just should not fucking happen. You know what I mean? And it's right. not because I don't think Mayu and Sasha don't, aren't big enough names to headline. They definitely are. But in the kayfabe of the company, the red belt's the top title. Julia's the top star. And she's, she's facing her most hated, you know, rival that they've been building to since last year. Like there's no way. <laughs> yeah. I can definitely see it meet. Maybe semi-main event. I don't know what's the full card for that show. I haven't looked at the full card, but maybe semi-main event. I think it's just semi-main event, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be a good spot for it. But people are, you know, there's an unreasonable explanation or expectation that that should be the main event. And it's like, damn, like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But for for listeners... Go ahead. I was going to say, for listeners who want to learn more about stardom, make sure you check out One Nation Radio, another show here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd. They cover stardom every week on their show. So if you want to dive more into the world of stardom, they will be your guides. Long term, I'd like to see Sasha work longer and extend her deal if it's at all possible, because I loved this match. I want to see more of what we got here. And... um. You know, I wouldn't even be opposed to I, – I very much don't want them to swallow up stardom. That's my biggest concern is stardom becomes, uh, you know, redundant, and then they just somehow eventually get amalgamated into New Japan. I don't think that would be good. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be opposed to – I don't want to see necessarily long-running stories because I, I think this should somewhat still remain like – a showcase but i would be, i'd be fine if they started having concurrent you know t- maybe some tag matches on the road two shows or on the big shows on the undercard something like that and you know maybe to build up i'd be fine you know what that's not a bad idea Wh- what about when they're having like an upcoming title match what if they ran some you know preview tag matches like they do on the road twos surrounding that title match yeah, you know? I think that'd be great. Also, you know, during a tour like G1 or Super Juniors, you wouldn't feature them, but on a tour like this, Sakura Genesis or maybe Don Taku, if they're going to do a title match there, yeah, you bring the, the stardom women in, you do a multi-man tag, and you build up the, the title match. And I'm not saying that they need to be on the whole tour. Obviously, it's going to be a tough thing. You don't want it to be to the detriment of what they're doing with stardom. They are, they're also a live touring c- company as well. But it'd be cool to have you know, uh, a couple showcase preview tags leading up to a title match. That way they're at least promoting it on some level and we get video packages and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I, I would like to, to see them expand this a little bit. And you know what else? They could There could be some synergy where they're doing the preview tags in stardom or even like the preview tags could be here and the title matches over in stardom. There needs to be more crossover. Yeah, definitely. So uh, moving on to the next match, we had the NJPW World Television title match. Zack Sabre Jr., the champion, retains the title and defeats Roughneck Shota Umino, 13 minutes and 35 seconds. More and more, um, the those in the, because a lot of people, when they consume New Japan, they're not watching all the undercards and road to shows like we do on and you know how we break it down and review it for the show a lot of western fans pretty much just cherry pick big shows and big matches and uh, i've talked to a lot of people and most of the people i've talked to 
pretty much just watched everything from the, the women's match on. So with that being said, they're not seeing the full development of Shota Umino the way we are. They're kind of just coming in for a big show. And if it's good, then they know. And if it's bad, then, you know, then we're hearing about it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of folks tuned into this match and I thought new Japan. Now they've already been doing this incrementally. We've been talking about it week after week, but like a lot of people got exposed here for the first time to kind of see the, the new real presentation of Shota Umino. Um, and they did not only that, but they did a great job in sumo hall. You know, it wasn't just that he was aimlessly in the back, like in some of the other arenas, but they put him in the exact position that they do the famous walkouts for all the other sumo matches and the big pay-per-views and stuff. So it's very reminiscent to the, you know, to the domestic crowd, what's happening. They see him in that spot with the checkered orange and, and white, you know, tile on the walls and like, Oh, and like, and then he's coming out and it's almost got like a Goldberg feel to it. And it's like, okay, he's a big fucking deal. And then he comes out and he's up in the stands and you hear the music start. And it's like, all right, like I feel it now. Like we're getting to a point where the presentation is on and that's already half the battle, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of guys in wrestling that aren't necessarily the best wrestler, but they have a character. They've got a presentation. They connect with the crowd and the people care about them. I mean, Tetsuya Naito doesn't even try half the time and he gets by on this sort of shit all the time. He's one of the big stars in the world. And then he went out there and I don't want to say that this match with Zach was his best match, although it was very good. It wasn't his best match necessarily. I still think that maybe his initial return to the company against uh, Will was probably his best match so far in singles. Yeah, the historic crossover. But I think this was the best he has looked as a performer in the ring in a, in a big singles match, it didn't feel so much. So like he was being carried by Zach, like he did in the previous will match or even in the last Zach match, I felt like he felt way more confident, way more comfortable. I think they told a better story. It was a lot more fluid. They didn't go quite as long as they did in the, in the uh, new Japan cup match. And, um, in the story, I mean, he was kicking the shit out of Zach down the stretch and very much looked like he was on his way to a potential victory before he got caught. Um, and, you know, Zach rolled him up and got the one, two, three fair and square. But, like, they made it look like Umino is a force to be reckoned with. It was great. Yeah, dude, the entrance was great. Yeah, it comes out, big pop from the crowd. And, yeah, he used to work this match so great. And it was a great story in the match you mentioned. Zach was working over the arm to prevent uh, Umino from doing the Death Rider and uh, some of his other offense. Uh, and then towards the end there, he was able to uh, hit the Death Rider for a great near fall. Like I was watching, I was like, oh, he's, he's going to beat Zach. That, that's his finish. <laughs> uh, but uh, Zach kicked out, but he fired back up. He hit that um, DDT, and he was going for the Death Rider again. But then, yeah, Zach was able to uh, reverse into a quick pin and kind of catch him off second. But the crowd was into him. They were behind him this whole match. Big Shota chance. They wanted to see him get the win here, and they, they gasped when Zach kicked out of the Death Rider. So, yeah, I think everything is moving in a positive direction for the Roughneck here. Yeah, and then, you know, as, as it pertains to Zach, he's in the middle of a very, very strong, very, very credible and quality title reign. Um, it's the first title reign in the history of this new belt. And every defense has been very, very good. They've all been short, enjoyable matches. And while there are probably a couple things to, you know, criticize 
by and large, just been nothing but a positive for him and for this new division. And whoever wins the belt from him is going to definitely get a boost from it and is going to have, you know, uh, big shoes to fill. So glad to kind of see Zach carving out a niche for himself here in this little division too. Yeah. Also, uh, Zach was hilarious in the, the pre-match comments. So, you know, they do those uh, NJPW World TV comments where the guys kind of say some quick words before the match and it goes to Zach and he's like, all right, you know, I, I always joke around to these things. I, I'm going to be serious. So here I go. Then grab his jacket. He's like, here, Shota, look at my shiny jacket. Do you want my shiny jacket? Come and get it. Come get my shiny jacket. <laughs> when, when is Zack Sabre Jr. not hilarious? Yeah, it's awesome. But I do kind of agree with Zach making fun of the whole jacket thing. I do think that Shota needs to drop the whole carrying out the Death Rider jacket. Like, either wear it or just stop carrying it. I feel it's kind of a clunky part of his entrance. Yeah, I think that they're probably holding out hope that there's some sort of interaction between him and Moxley, maybe even a match that they're eventually going to try and build to something like that. But it is interesting. I mean, we, I don't want to get too much into the lore, but currently John Moxley is a ultra heel in AEW and showed to me no super baby face. So <laughs> yeah, maybe you do some kind of mixed tag or, you know, some kind of tag at uh, forbidden door. They team up, but then Moxley turns on him breaks his heart and the, you know, Shota has to drop the jacket and be his own man. We'll see. Uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, we had a question here from less commission seven, two, five, two. Do you guys think that Zach and Tai Chi will meet some point down the line, either for the TV title or even the G one. That's one of the matches I'm hoping to see during Zach's title reign or see them both announced in the same block. I hadn't really consider, considered that too much. Um, I was talking to a friend of the show, James Boyd from One Nation Radio this past weekend, and he 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 joked to me and he was like, um, you know, Tai Chi lost to Zach but found himself a Sonata. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, the love affair with Zach and Tai Chi is over, but uh, it would be pretty cool to see them in a match against one another either i'd be fine if it was in in the tag ranks as well but yeah uh them against one another in the g1 sounds really cool them in a a 15 minute sprint banger is also very good so yeah i'd be definitely down for those guys having a match yeah i think g1 would be a pretty cool spot to have them face off so uh after that we had the uh something is coming video um you know and they had some new words talking about you know rampage and carnage and destruction uh is coming to new japan um so yeah it seems like a, a big monster is coming in quentin rampage jackson <laughs> what is rampage up to nowadays he's fat <laughs> that's scott steiner he's fat <laughs> <laughs> He had a fight in Japan like a couple of years ago against uh, Fedor, um, and they're both old men. And like Rampage was so, so so out of shape, and Fedor beat his ass. And Fedor, you know, obviously just retired and like can't fight anymore. So the fact that he like beat Rampage's ass was hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rampage is dumb, bro. I don't know. But I used to love Rampage back in the day. Oh, I love Rampage Jackson. He's hilarious. One of my favorite fighters. Um, I don't know who's coming, though. Uh, Bill? <laughs> you keep saying that. You keep throwing that out there in the atmosphere. 
No one else is saying it. I just want to be right, you know? I don't want to see Bill Goldberg <laughs> come out here. If Bill Goldberg in New Japan is wrong, then I don't want to be right. <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, what other, like, big monster guys that they could put I mean, maybe Suji, if they're bringing somebody back. He's, he's a big guy. Fatu. Fat, which Fatu? Uh, it's... Um, There's a lot of them. Just uh, any of them. Uh, Jacob. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Jacob's fine. Bring in him. <laughs> I think um, isn't Brian Cage's deal about to be up? That's what people were saying, but he kept the ROH six man titles at Super Card of Honor, and now they're doing this whole thing where Swerve and the Embassy have merged, um, and Cage is a part of Swerve's group what now. The fuck is the Embassy? You know, the, the Ring of Honor embassy with uh, Prince Nana, Brian Cage, and the um, Gates of Agony? I guess. He's with some dudes. I don't watch <laughs> fake Ring of Honor. <laughs> well, yeah, so they did a merger. Except mer- for the pay-per-views. <laughs> they did a merger of mogul affiliates and the embassy with Swerve keeping 51% control <laughs> <laughs> of the of the merger. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I love Prince Nana, so I think that, that's going to be a cool kind of thing. Swerve can be the new crown jewel of the embassy. Um, Maybe it's Keith Old Man Lee. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm not digging the, the gray. Bro, I'm sorry. Like, you can't have a gray hair and a gray beard and, like, be a star in wrestling. Yeah. It's just not going to fly for me. Like, I, I'm sorry. Go to the fucking store and buy just for men and put it in your hair <laughs> and be a fucking star, okay? <laughs> it's a cosmetic business. <laughs> Uh, so uh, moving on to the next matchup here For the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Titles Aussie Open Kyle Fletcher And Dunkzilla Mark Davis They defeated Bishamon Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi To become the new IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions Two of the best tag teams in the world today Went out there and had one of the best match- tag team matches of the year. Very, very uh, compelling. I I was thoroughly, um, you know, entertained. I thought this was an incredible match. And I, I guess we got to talk about it. I think the, the one thing that probably put this a little bit over the top, it wasn't fortunate that it happened, of course, and it's not something you like to see. But every now and again, there's a match where a, a mishap of, you know, something that you don't want to see takes place, but it's something that catches your eye and it elevates the the drama of a match, especially if it's something that's based in reality. And that's exactly what we we saw here. There's a moment early on in the match where, you know, the uh, Aussie Open tag team, they're getting a lot of shine and doing high spots. And um, Kyle Fletcher goes to the top rope. He does an outside uh, moonsault and hits his opponent and ricochets off the back of his head as he's coming down the back of his head just completely smacks the guardrail fucking hard and yeah the back of his head just immediately starts uh you know gushing blood he's got blood all down the back of his head and the back of his back and his neck and uh, very concerning they checked on him and what was crazy is they just taped up his fucking head like he was Anoki or Hashimoto back in the day and just let him keep going. And the fact that, you know, he might have potentially probably likely had a, a 
serious concussion, he didn't skip a beat. He didn't miss anything in this match. Like he went out there and still wrestled at the extremely high level of work rate that Aussie Open are known to, you know, that they're known for. And Bishamon had another incredible defense in their final defense of their titles. These are two of the best tag teams out there today. And I'm convinced right now, Jeremy, and this is not just New Japan propaganda because I've been saying this for a while now. I think Aussie Open are the best tag team in the world today. I know it's probably like a 1A, 1B, maybe even 1C situation, depending on you know your tastes. But I think we're getting to a point where as amazing as the Young Bucks are, and I think they're probably, for a lot of reasons, the best tag team of all time, period. They are starting to slow down. They're starting to get older, and they're also not as much in the forefront of their own company. And I've been saying this for a while. I think that um, Aussie Open are the best tag team out there that are not named the Young Bucks. Well, I think we're past that point now. I think that they have kind of elevated to a point where, like, they're getting the opportunities. They're getting the, uh, you know, the uh, the platform to showcase what they can do. And I think they right now are the best tag team operating today. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely up there, especially you, you look at the week they had last week. I mean, they were, you know, on ROH, they were on Impact, they're all over the place, so they're traveling all over the world, having great matches wherever they go, and yeah, another great matchup right here, and yeah, Kyle Fletcher smacking his head on that, that guardrail, getting busted open, you know, from the, the first, like the, from the side view, from the, I think from the back, it didn't look so bad, but then when he turned to the side, you just saw all that blood, just like gushing down uh, his face. Uh, but yeah, they take them up and man, like just the emotion that was coming off of him, the intensity and fire that he was, you know, laying in his strikes and his big moves. There was one like running corner insecurity that he's had like so much intensity and passion, even the crowd, like his gasp, by, like how fast and how intensely he like hit that Inzi on Yoshihashi. Uh, but overall, uh, great matchup, um, a lot of great double teams, um, towards the end, um, Goto and Yoshihashi were in there, uh, with Kyle Fletcher and, you know, they're, they're trying to hit all these double team combos and it kind of seems like, oh man, like is the injury going to cost Aussie open and, you know, Kevin Kelly did a great job talking about all the setbacks and Davis being injured in 2019 and stopped them from coming to new Japan 2019 and just all setbacks. Yeah. And so it seemed like, oh, man, is this head injury another setback for them? Um, but Mark Davis was able to come in uh, and, and make the save, stop them from doing um, the Shoto. And then they were able to hit uh, the Coriolis on Yoshihashi. One, two, three, get the big win. Aussie Open are the new IWGP heavyweight tag team champions for the first time. It was a, a long time coming. Yeah, I, I really loved it. Um, I thought that a lot of the, the work from Bishamon um, was very inventive as well and hard-hitting, and these guys never slowed down. Um, to me, this was the match of the night, and that's really saying something because New Japan always does have very good tag team wrestling, but they're not known to be like you know an oasis for tag teams or a landing spot for them or like a top tag team division. Like that's not the kind of territory this wrestling company is, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And for them to have a show that many people are calling like the new Japan show of the year, or at least a strong candidate for it. 
And to have this many great matches at the top of the card, you know, for the second half. And in my opinion, for that top match to be, you know, a tag team title match, that's really, really saying something. That's a huge feather in the cap of all four of these guys. And uh, this was just another really great and really classic uh, tag team title defense and tag team match. I, I loved it. And yeah. I'm, I was so glad to see Aussie Open finally get the, the just do that they're so deserving to finally win the big gold and, uh, you know, be on top of a major company now. Yeah, I want uh, four and a half stars on this. Love the match. That's, that's exactly what I am. Uh, and the crowd, the crowd was, they were so into Aussie Open throughout the whole match. Big Aussie Open, clap, 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 chant throughout the whole match. So you don't always see that where they're, they're rooting for the foreign team. Um, you know, yeah, they were all about Aussie Open getting the win over Bishamon. Yeah. Um, yeah, great emotional moment, you know, with all of United Empire there, too. You know, Cobb and Ocon and uh, Kira were all out there. And then um, Fletcher hugging Kevin Kelly and Kevin asked him he's okay and saying, I'm proud of you. And that was a, kind of a great moment there. So, yeah, so big stuff here for Aussie Open, new tag team champions. Um, and a couple questions here. Okay, okay, 890 says, do you think Bishamon will get a lengthy tag title run or were they just unlucky that they became a top tag team as soon as Aussie Open came around? Um, I don't know. That's, a, that's kind of a tough question because, I mean, it, for this company, that was a lengthy run. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of even just looking at Wikipedia and it's like, you know, okay, FTR held the titles a lot longer, but they defended it just as many times as Bishamon did in their 94 days. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then when you kind of go back, you look at, like, Bishamon's first reign uh, in 2022, they, they held the title for almost the exact same amount of time. They just had less defenses. They only had one successful defense. And, I mean, Dangerous Techers held the title for 163 days, one title defense. Um. The last time that anybody had a really, truly lengthy run with a lot of success in this company was G.O.D. in February of 2019. They had seven title defenses over a 315-day you know, reign. And since then, nobody has held the title you know, even over 200 days. The closest team that came to that was FTR holding it for 192 days with two title defenses and the majority of their reign, they didn't defend the belts at all or do shit. So, <laughs> you know, this company is just not a company. Like I said, it's not a tag team title company, but Bishon had a great run. I mean, they, they won the uh, best or the um, world tag league and then they won the titles and then they had two successful defenses and then their third final defense against one of the best tag teams in the world, and every match was blow away. I mean, that I think this is one of the strongest title runs in a long time. Yeah, and I'm sure they will, they will end up getting the belts um, again down the line. Um, but yeah, great run here for them. But I do think you know Aussie Open heating up definitely, and with them, you know, it was reported that they weren't under contract, so you know they're a per date deal. Like you definitely want to heat these guys up, get them under contract, get the titles on them. So. Definitely see why you you would go at Aussie Open here. Uh, MJSPR says, "Where does Aussie Open versus Bishamon land in your NJPW tag team matches of all time?" That's a tough question. Um, 
I, I don't have them all cataloged. Let's just safely say top 20. I think that's probably a safe conservative number. But if we're talking IWGP tag team title matches, it's probably very high because the, the dirty little secret is most of the great, truly great tag team matches in New Japan don't involve their tag team titles. Right. In, in the 80s and 90s, they would do a lot of like top stars teaming together against each other kind of tag matches that were really great. Yeah, and then if you take into account like all the great junior tag team title matches or just junior tag matches or uh, the, the fantastic uh, late career run that uh, like the Golden Lovers went on, none of those involved the tag titles. So there's a lot of examples you could probably point to in history where they've had fantastic tag team matches that weren't involving the IWGB tag team titles. Right. Um, so... And I thought this one was really great. I'd go top 20, which is, that's strong. Yeah. Uh, so after that, we had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match. The champion, the ticking time bomb, Hiromu Takahashi, defeated our good friend Robbie Eagles, 21 minutes, 12 seconds. Well, he was our good friend, Jeremy, and he's now part of Team DK. So all bets are off. We don't know. Is this is this the same guy that, that we've come to know and love? Or is this an evildoer? <laughs> you know? <laughs> is this an evildoer who, you know, maybe maybe doesn't like a guy like you and me anymore? Like, we don't know mm. un- until we talk to him to find out for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so far, um, oh, I will say this. I love, and I've been wanting to say it for weeks, and I keep forgetting because I heard uh, Zach it a while back and then they brought it up on commentary um he calls robbie the geezer of the skies which is so <laughs> fucking funny bro <laughs> yeah it's hilarious i love it he's like the geezer of the skies <laughs> oh man um listen when the worst match of the night for all of your top matches that is is a match involving Hiromu Takahashi and Robbie Eagles. That's how you know this was a banger card because those guys don't have anything less than like four stars. They're they're a walking four star in you know in their sleep factory machine. Like they don't do less than that. And they didn't hear. And I and yet I still think that this was the lowest, in my opinion, rated match of the top end matches of the show, which just tells you how great I thought all these matches were. And um, I say I say all that to say this: Robbie and Hiromu did not disappoint. I thought they went out there and they had an incredible match, um, very reminiscent to some of the matches that they've had with one another. They both targeted um, certain body parts that they, you know, Robbie went after the legs as he's prone to do to set up the Ron Miller special. Hiromu went after his arms, and you know, very much a, a psychological body part match. These guys have great chemistry with each other. Robbie has beaten Hiromu in the past, and they did a great job telling that story on commentary, letting us know that he kind of feels that he's got this guy's number. And it, at many points in the match, it kind of felt like that might play itself out. But Hiromu was able to weather almost everything that um, Robbie gave him and ultimately put him away with uh, you know Dynamite Plunger and then the Time Bomb too. Great, great match. I'm four stars on it. Yeah, really great matchup. Uh, I went four and a quarter on it. Um, 
thought it was a great matchup, great story. Um, like I mentioned, yeah, Robbie, um, you know, he had targeted the knee and the leg of Hiromu on the buildup to this matchup during the Road 2 shows, and so also it was, it was a big target um, in this match for Robbie to, to lock on the, the Ron uh, Miller special, and Hiromu had to battle through all the pain. I thought Hiromu did, did a great job um, most of the match, you know, selling the leg and fighting through the pain, and there was a spot um, towards the end where he got Hiromu trapped in the middle of the ring, Ron Miller special. You know, Hiromu's pulling and pulling to the ropes. Every time he got close, Robbie would pull him right back in the middle. I was like, oh, well, that has to be it. Like, he's pulled him back to the middle, like, three right. times now. And, like, Hiromu's, like, crying and pleading to Red Shoes. And Red Shoes is like, you know, you give up. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Hiromu was able to uh, get to the ropes. And, like you mentioned, yeah, he was able to hit the uh, the time bomb, too. To uh, put Robbie away and retain, and you know he's on the way to V uh, twelve. He now has uh, three defenses down, so um, he just needs uh, nine more to to get to his goal of twelve defenses of the junior title. Yep, and um, you know this brings uh, Hiromu to his third successful title defense. And uh, I put out a tweet early January. I said in the last decade we've had. Three IWGP junior champions with four more successful defenses, Hiromu, Kushida, and Prince Devitt. And the last time that happened was Hiromu's first reign over six years ago. So it's been a long time since we've had a truly strong definitive champion. And with his next title win or title defense win, if he does uh, get it, he'll reach that record, which is in and of itself uh, a small milestone. And it feels like we are on the way to that V12 story. And if they cut it short for any reason, which they may, you never know, it'll be a big deal if they do, you know, because the narrative is he's aiming for 12 and, you know, for someone to come in and stop that, that would be a big deal. Yeah. And plus too, the, the add to the story that, you know, he's getting beaten down with every defense. Like he's, he's getting broken down. So by the time he gets close to like V10, V11, like he's going to be, very worn down, very broken down. Yeah, and keep in mind, along the way, there's a best of the Super Juniors tournament that's all non-title matches, and that's usually when juniors get the most, you know, singles action of the year. So you kind of have to account for that as well as being part of his story. So mm-hmm. um, one last thing I'll say about Robbie. Um, I am interested to see long-term, because I, obviously I was joking I mentioned, you know, he might be a bad guy now, but the reality is I don't think they fully fleshed out exactly what the vibe and tenor of TMDK is quite, quite yet. Like they seemed very much full fledged heels when they were running through strong with Jonah at the helm and, um, you know, everything prior to his departure. But now that he's left, we kind of have like a new vibe to the group and they're definitely like we see the cohesion amongst the members and, you know, they have new music and a new look and that's all great, but it's hard to tell exactly what they are. As of now, they seem to kind of be ambiguous tweeners, but, and and Robbie has kind of stepped into that and it's, it remains yet to be seen if there's going to be like a character change or if this is just sort of like a unilateral move for him. You know what I mean? Right, and it seems like you know all these commentary was saying, oh, there's no, there's no beef really with Robbie leaving Chaos, kind of like with Mikey Nichols leaving Chaos. Like 
it was kind of a new opportunity for them. And so, yeah, he wasn't overly heelish. Yet. He, he did do the, the, the leg attack on the road to show and was really, he, he did. He was a little bit more vicious than normal. He had a bit more of a, a vicious streak in him in this match. Yeah. But not overly to the point where you're like, Oh, this guy's a heel. Um, right. So. so that's kind of what I'm wondering is where that group lands as they're kind of defining themselves a little bit more and how that, if there are any changes that come along, if we're going to see that sort of um, reflected in his work or in his character and everything like that moving forward. But, um, you know, I'm glad that he has gotten the opportunity to kind of be like the head junior guy of a new group because he sort of was that in chaos for a little bit, but you know, as they kind of pointed out on commentary it was almost necessitated by other people being out due to injury and chaos. He, he never was completely full fledged top dog, even when he was the champion, like it was sort of out of necessity and right. here he's the top junior. Yeah, so yeah, he's a top junior, only junior in uh, TMDK currently. And I think overall, I think it'll end up being a, a good spot for him going forward. Yeah. So then moving on to the main event for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. Sonata of just five guys. He finished the story. He defeats the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. 26 minutes and 58 seconds. Great match. Great story. Great finish. The right guy went over. Sonata looked like a million bucks. He came out and not only did he have, you know, we talked about in the past few weeks, he's got a new look. He's dyed his hair freshly black, shaved the beard much more handsome than he was before. But in addition to that, he got rid of the old, crusty funky ass gear that we talked about that he's been wearing for years on end dude comes out in a you know a la rick rude 1989 blue sequin robe which was unexpected completely no music which i'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the music but it was cool to kind of see that new transformation that new presentation comes out and then he takes off the robe and this man is wearing trunks, not tights, trunks with knee pads and white boots looking like a, almost like a Lex Luger sort of esque <laughs> figure. And uh, it, the, the transformation is complete. I mean, new look, new music, new gear, new entrance, new finishing move, new faction, and new champion. Everything is new with him in a very short period of time. They changed things up immensely yeah this was yeah great main event um i'm digging all the, the new changes new presentation yeah i thought the new entrance robe and the new you know sparkly trunks uh very cool looking gear kind of a little bit similar to the the say sonata gear he used to wear back in the day but uh it's like the trunk version of that and yeah overall told on another match for another really good story and you know okada he was very cocky, very confident in this matchup. He wanted to end the match with the money clip, his secondary finisher. He, you know, we've seen him do that. Some guys like he doesn't think the Rainmaker is worth it. He'll try and beat them with the money clip, and that's what he did here all throughout the match. Um, he's getting very cocky and confident. He he pulled a Sonata. He did the money clip and let go of it. Went up to the top for the, the elbow drop. Uh, but ultimately, I think you know part of that that cockiness was uh, led to his demise. 
Um, eventually, he did go for the Rainmaker, um, but Sonata was able to counter it with the Deadfall and get the win. They talked on commentary, did a fantastic job during this match, and they talked about the, you know, various history between these guys and how many times Okada has beaten him and all the times uh, Sonata has come up short. But not only that, they also mentioned the even further back history, Sonata being someone that wanted to join the New Japan Dojo and didn't make the class, but some of his other contemporary New Japan, you know, uh, wrestlers that are there today were in the class that he got denied from and he had to take a different path and he wasn't able to come through the dojo system and he came up under Kijimuto in all Japan and even though he was like groomed as a top guy he was always kind of under Muta's shadow and under his thumb and you know every time it looked like he was going to win the big one he was kind of put in his place and you know jobbed out to Muta and others and same thing happened when he followed him to wrestle one and it seemed like Every time they try to set this guy up as the top draw or the top star, there's some sort of fallout, something that didn't quite work out, didn't line up. And then that seemed to kind of just remain to be the story throughout most of his run in New Japan as well, which is why so many people thought it was so unlikely that he would finally be the guy to beat Okada on a stage like this. And that was the precise reasoning of why we on this show have been saying, like, you can't do this. Like, at this point putting all your feelings aside doesn't matter if you're a fan of the guy or not you can't do this <laughs> you cannot have him lose again at this point because it, it it would just be booking malpractice and thank god gato was listening to this podcast he heard our pleas he heard our cries and he realized you know what you're right i need to put this guy over and that's exactly what he did um i love that sonata Basically, it seems like, I mean, granted, of course, this still very much fall fits in to what I've said in the past, how the deadfall is pretty much just the Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But he used very a lot of the same logic and tactics that Jay, that were successful for Jay White in, the, in you know his previous feud with uh, Okada. Where Okada, I mean, go back to Wrestle Kingdom. What year was that? 12? Yeah. Wrestle Kingdom 12, um, Jay White beats Okada in the Dome in under 15 minutes. And what happened? Uh, Okada was going for a Rainmaker, and he got caught in the Blade Runner. Boom, one, two, three, got put out. That's the exact same finish they did here. He was going for the Rainmaker, and this move was tailor-made to counter the Rainmaker. And he got that arm up, spun him around, dropped him on his head, one, two, three, and he's the new champion. And the belt looked fantastic around his waist. Mm-hmm. The guy is felt. He is jacked. He is vascular. Huge. He looks. Look at him. <laughs> He's huge. Seiya Sonata. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he looked great. And you know that that's another thing too, Jeremy. Something that kind of warmed my soul a little bit, and I think it's a a, a positive sign. Sonata, it's no, there's no mistaking it. Sonata's a very handsome man. So is Okada. There's always been this thing. It's not really talked about too much in, in the general fandom, but it's kind of well-known in the community that like New Japan has a pretty large female following. Why is that? Hot dudes. Very fan servicey. And to see these two guys 
go out there and look clean cut, look like a million bucks. They looked like fucking stars. They literally look like the type, the two type of guys that could be world champion on any stage in any company in any era. And to see those two guys be at the top of, regardless of the match quality, which the match was quality, but to yeah. just the optics, it gives you that presentation of like, this is a series, like, these are two top stars. This is a big time company, big money matches, and we have stars. And that's what it looked like. And I think um, that can't do anything but be a positive for the brand overall. Yeah, I think they did a great job of elevating Sonata here, making him look the star, be on an evil, even footing with Okada. Got great crowd reaction. Uh, great synergy with just five guys. Uh, they were all out there, uh, you know, big post-match celebration with all those guys. And, yeah, it's all working. I, I do love, like, the the new um, the stinger that they, ha- they all have in their music now with Taka. Um, so what? We are going to change. You already die. Um, so all that, everything is working with just five guys. I know we like to joke about the name and... Um, you know, how it's not you know, the best, but overall, I mean, these guys, they gel well together, they're getting over, and they seem like a really big deal. This is the exact reason people say, let it play out, okay? Because I know in other companies you say, let it play out, and it doesn't play out, and it's just uh, some bullshit. But in New Japan, you can literally say, let's let it play out, and very often you're rewarded for your patience, because on January 5th, when this new group was like debuted it was like the fuck are we doing right now yeah it's like jags like these guys they're calling themselves jags (laughs) and and now we're like four months we're four months and a a few days removed from that and they have the fucking world title (laughs) (laughs) and and doki's about to beat naito yeah and um it's just hilarious bro but like you know um going back to sonata i'll say this now that he's won the title um, this is where the real test, you know, quote unquote, the real, real test, test, the real test, um, kind of begins because he climbed the mountain and there's a big difference between being a guy that can chase and being a guy that can defend and draw houses and things like that. Um, my get, well, I guess we probably have questions. People are probably asking us where we think oh, it's going to yeah, happen. We, we have yeah, a, yeah. a ton of questions. Let's run through these. Uh, so- one thing I want to say before all that though, I think. The, the one thought I had watching him wrestle is like, this is a guy that would have fit in hook, line, and sinker wrestling Ric Flair in the 90s or the 80s. Mm. You know, that's the kind of look he had. He gave off the aura for the first time since I've ever watched him. This is a real star. Yeah. And, dude, his crossbody to the outside, I used to hate that thing. He hit a great crossbody. He hit an awesome one because he did, it wasn't lazy. Right. Even Kevin Kelly mentioned it. He's like, yeah, body on body, like, fully drilled him down. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so these questions here. Uh, Senor Sombrero 3K asks, can we blame the Rocky films for Sonata's new entrance gear after he stated he recently watched the films? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, he did come out in a robe. He probably did see, like, Rocky. He's like, I, I think I could do a robe. <laughs> Uh, I said, also thoughts on Sonata's new entrance theme. Sounds like generic anime music to me. I don't love the theme necessarily, but I didn't like his theme prior. So, yeah, I, I think it's fine. I actually like the the team Just Five Guys music better 
than Sonata's new Just Five Guys singles theme, but, but it's fun. Uh, Barry Walls says, hi guys, I saw Hiromu come out and challenge. All right, we got to mention that. Yeah, Hiromu came out post-match and uh, challenged uh, Sonata. Uh, so- well, just to, I guess to kind of uh, speak more concisely to that. So he wins the title, Kata leaves, him and five, Just Five Guys are celebrating. Suddenly Hiromu comes out and he places a challenge as the junior champion for the world title. And Sonata agrees to it, provided he can first defeat Kanemaru in a title defense of the junior title. So that's the stipulation. He's yeah. got to defend his junior title to get a shot at the world title, which I'm all here for all that. That all sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, so Barry asks, he says, I saw Hiromu come out and challenge the new champ, but assuming he beats Hiromu, who is next? He already beat Naito. Okada, I think, is going for the tag belt of Tanahashi, but Sonata beat him for the, for the belt anyway. Finley is feuding over the Never title. I would say Shingo, but having the KOPW belt, to me, makes it unlikely. Will is still injured. I am struggling to see who challenges. Any ideas? Okay, so this is what I'm thinking, Jeremy, and I mean, you tell me what you think. Uh, this will probably answer a lot of the questions people have. I think that it's great, number one, that Hiromu is the first challenger because I do think that even if – I don't know how long he's going to be a tip-top type guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, this is definitely a huge elevation, and I think he's going to be a, a top points earner in G1s and things like that, if you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, tournament finalist, probably hold other belts. He might even win the world title again. So I think this is definitely an elevation. I, I still don't see him as like a top six guy just yet, but that's probably in his grasp. If he really wants it, he works hard enough for it. And I think having Hiromu be the first challenger is great because, number one, that gives him a defense that people will want to see given their history and the synergy between their groups and everything. And it's easily – it's something he can win, but it's also something where he doesn't have to be like a major draw. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Hiromu, and, Hiromu is a draw, and they, I think that they'll do good business with each other. And it doesn't – um, waste any potential big heavyweight matches that still exist down the road for him. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a good gimme match, like a first. And Hiromu is an incredible worker. They're going to go out there. They're going to have a killer match, you know, mm-hmm. uh, being old buddies. After that's over, that's in Dontaku, that's May. There are basically two other major events coming up before the G1. You got Dominion, and then you got the Forbidden Door with AEW. I think this man is losing his title at one of those two events. I don't know specifically to who, but I don't think he's going into the G1 as the champion for the main reason just being for purely for business reasons. But the second reason being that it is classic Gato booking. The first time he gives someone a championship, uh, you know, he usually does it in the off season, meaning not dome season, you know, mm-hmm. or not during the G1. And then they usually drop it after like a title defense or two. So it's usually sort of like a trial run. And that's kind of what I think this title run is. But uh, I won't be surprised if he either loses it at Forbidden Door or Dominion. I just don't see him being someone that they can draw, you know, as a headliner during the G1 or that whoever wins, if he were the champion, like let's say hypothetically, you know, 
just throwing a name out there. Let's say Will Ospreay wins the G1. I don't think that people are going to be, you know, amping up for a potential Sonata versus whoever the G1 winner is either way. I think you need to get the title off him now after they've done the elevation and then continue to build upon the progress that they've made after the fact, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. I can definitely see him losing the title at Dominion. Um, you know, because with the AEW Forbidden Door, I don't know how much of a huge draw or, you know, I don't think the AEW fan bases are like big Sonata fans. Um, so you, you would probably want to put that back on Okada or somebody that that crowd's going to react to. And then all the reasons you mentioned uh, going into uh, G1 Climax. The only thing I would disagree with that is, I, it, you know, Forbidden Door is kind of a brand where it's like, People are going to buy the tickets no matter what, just because of the the appeal uh, and the hype of New Japan versus AEW. And so, he doesn't necessarily have to be the the highest, uh, you know, drawing, you know, dom- you know, domestic or foreign champion to uh, do good business for that show. Mm-hmm. But I could see him, and I'm, I know this is a little out of left field, but if you wanted to do this, and they've done a lot of new, fresh things this year, if you wanted to put the title on a AEW guy, Sonata's the right person to drop the title to one of those guys. Mm. If that's what you wanted to do. Now, that might suck if hypothetically you did that and then that champion doesn't work G1, you know, and sits it out. That would not be good. But let's say you wanted to bring one of those guys over as champion. That might be the time to do it. I mean, there's plenty of guys that have history in New Japan that would be a good fit, hypothetically. You know, Jericho, Moxley is the one I'm thinking more so. Um, Maybe Brian Danielson. If you were trying to get him into the G1, that might be a good entrance point, you know? Mm -hmm. I think all that stuff's kind of on the table, possibly. Yeah, definitely potential for that. Uh, Moving on. Who do you you think he drops the belt to, though? Because I think you think that's probably outlandish at this point, right? Uh, Well, him dropping the belt? Uh, no, at Forbidden Door. I think we're probably both favoring Dominion as being the more likely. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this even with, like, Naito in the past where, where Naito won the title for the first time. Like, it was this quick one-month reign, and then he dropped it right back. Um, so, because Gato does that. He elevates you, gets you on the level, gives you the belt, and then takes it away and rebuilds you to, to chase. Right. Um, so, I, I think Dominion, they do a rematch of him and Okada, and Okada gets it back. I think that makes the most sense. I could also see Naito getting the title from him at uh, Dominion. That might be a good way to transition. Yeah. Uh, Hawaiian Punch BB says, Two mountains were conquered this week, which was a tougher climb. Sonata finally beating Okada for the title, or Izzy finally beating Pereira on his (laughs) fourth try? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Apples and oranges, bro. (laughs) Um, he also asked, do you think Sonata is destined for his evil run? He won New Japan Cup and left LIJ. He wins the title and defends it against Hiromi for his first defense. Is Naito beating him for the title at Dominion? That's one of the reasons I said I think Naito could be the guy. And, and you know, it seems like they've been gearing Naito up for something big. And Sonata would be the perfect person to drop the title to him. They do good business. And I'm sure Sonata would probably get that win back from Naito. Actually, he already lost. He already beat Naito in the New Japan Cup, so that'd probably be the make good. But I could see them running it back at the G One or something like that. You know? Yeah. 
And a similar uh, next question here from Mike Gamble says, well, Sonata now holding the IWB title and given their history, do we foresee a Naito versus Sonata match? Definitely. I think that's very possible, but I mean, it's not the only possibility, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Dominion, that would be a huge draw. Do a Naito Sonata main event. And yeah, like you said, Naito can get the belt uh, there. Yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to Sonata having a longer reign. It's just the. The timing of G1, it makes, like, a few guys have won the title going into the G1 as champion, but most of the time when that happens, they are more established than Sonata is at this point. You know, like, Kenny Omega and, like, AJ Styles were a lot more well-established as draws and as top guys than Sonata is right now, you know? Yeah. A friend of the show, Karen Peterson, our guest last week, uh, she asked, since we discussed the likelihood of Sonata finally getting uh, finally getting completing his post-LIJ evolution, which included finally defeating Okada, what do you think of the new or retro yet upgraded Seiya Sonata look? Who would you like to see, ch- see challenge him besides Hiromu? Um, I'm really... I'm game for whoever at this point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's really no match that you could do that isn't fresh because even though he's been in this company for a long time and he's wrestled almost everybody he's a new he's a new product he's a new guy and it's a a totally different thing it's kind of like when will osprey first went heavyweight and it was like he's wrestled a lot of these guys but it's a new guy everything's different now Mm -hmm. so down the line I'm, i'm excited for him to pretty much wrestle everybody but i don't see him having a lengthy reign and it's not just because of him too it's also because that's just the history of uh gato's booking he did it with jay white he did it with evil he did it with okada he did it with um naito the first time almost everybody and you know um most people have a pretty short title reign um you know the few exceptions might be like the the pandemic era with Will Ospreay and Ibushi and Shingo, but right. that I kind of don't count that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he always could lose a belt maybe after G one in the fall, but it's very unlikely. I I wouldn't be opposed to it, but for the reasons I stated, I just find it very unlikely because I don't think he's an established unless. Who knows? This might really be a test if he is like a proven com- like drawing commodity in these next two big events. Maybe they do keep the title on him. But for my best bet is he has a match with Hiromu. He drops the title to the next guy at Dominion or Forbidden Door. And then he has a good shot to put- I don't even think he would win the G1, but he has a good shot to be a top G1 guy, you know, and that's that's where he can really showcase himself and, and say like, yeah, I dropped the title, but like I'm here to stay mm-hmm. and put in vintage performances and elevate his stock and show that he's one of the top performers in the company and really maximize all that potential that we've always seen in him that has kind of been wasted over the years. Yeah. Um, as far as his look, I, I like the new look, uh, the kind of upgraded say now look, I think that looks cool. And so, yeah, I'm digging it. Same. Uh, okay, okay, 890 asks a couple questions here. It says, do you think this will be a short reign and Okada wins the belt back for G1 to finish off the Osprey versus Okada story, or will they go all in on Tanada? I think we've kind of 
I think a lot of people are kind of wondering about Okada and and uh, Osprey, and kind of trying to figure out how Osprey fits into the world title picture. But I personally just sort of see him, um, you know, involved in the Kenny storyline for the time being, and maybe that gets paid off here shortly at Forbidden Door. But if I were a betting man, I think that that kind of persists all the way through to Wrestle Kingdom in one form or another, meaning. I don't think either one of them, Kenny or Will, will be anywhere near the world title. And if Will was to per, you know, perhaps get a world title shot in some form or fashion between now and Wrestle Kingdom, I think he loses that title shot. So if you're a Will Osprey fan, you might not want him to even, you know, uh, take a shot. You know, right. Yeah, I, I definitely think, yeah, we're more into the, the Will Kenny story. He has to kind of topple Kenny first before he gets back to uh, beating Okada. Uh, he also asks, is there any fun contenders you could see for Sonata besides the LIJ guys? I think Zach could be fun. Yeah, well, like I said, I think everybody's fun. I just, um, I, I at this point, it's like they're giving him Hiromu, and I think he's only got one more defense that he's going to lose. So to me, you kind of got to pick somebody that's going to beat him. And I think the list of guys that realistically could beat him are shorter at that point. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's pretty much like Naito or Okada. Um, at this point. Yeah. That's my thinking on it. Yeah. But, but yeah, Zach would be fun. Him and Zach always have great matches, but unless you want to give Tanahashi one last, <laughs> one last go, go ace. <laughs> You know what would be a really if in a perfect world where this is not going to happen, but if you wanted to give him a really cool title defense that would probably like you know fuck really hard, give him Tomohiro Ishii. Mm, yeah, that'd be dope. Yeah, because they've had some great matches before, and a title match on a big stage that would be yeah, that'd go hard. And okay, okay, eight nineties last question: If Okada having a shot at two belts coming up. What are the chances Okada actually wins one of those and holds a minor title for a bit? Uh, what what other title is he challenging for? I only know about the the strong the never yeah the strong tag team titles. He's also challenging for the never six man titles. Oh, he's not winning. I don't think he's winning either of those. I'd be surprised if he wins either of those. Yeah. Uh, Let's commission seven two five two. Would the young boy say that he's the newest member? Of just six guys. No, oh. bro. <laughs> have you ever seen me wrestle? <laughs> you know what's funny is like I have I have all the footage of both of my ma- my two matches. <laughs> I have the footage of my two official unofficial matches, but you people aren't going to see them unless you pay me a lot of money. So send it over to uh, Rocky. Get you a role in the academy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. And he says, uh, also, does Sonata's theme fit him? Because it sounds like it would fit for a strong baby face. Well, he is a baby face for now. Yeah. Um, again, I, I like the, the group music better, but I do think this is also way better than the, the Cold Skull music. Uh, Greg Starts says, do you think they partnered Sonata with Tai Chi for coaching purposes? I rewatched the Sonata Okada match, and I could be mistaken, but I think I caught both. Okada and Taichi coaching Sonata on how to work the crowd. Well, you know, that's it, it sounds like something that after this many years of wrestling, 
he should know how to do. And I would assume to some extent he does, but um, it's always been a criticism that he lacks a certain level of flair and, um, you know, charisma in the ring. So you might be absolutely right. I didn't catch that personally, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, two well-established vets who, who are amazing at working the crowd were, you know, telling, giving him uh, indicators of when to play up to the crowd. That's possible. Yeah, I didn't catch that either, but I, I could see them, especially like, you know, Scott's got on a side, Tai Chi kind of talking to him and kind of giving him pointers, but uh, but it's not look great. So if he get pointers or no pointers, he he was getting it getting it done. Um, Lee Chang is Bay Two says hi guys, new listener from the Reddit Squared Circle. So my girlfriend and I are watching Sakura Genesis together last night, and when she saw Sonata, she kept mentioning how hot he was. So my question to you is, why was this man dressing like a garden lawn gnome for so many years when he looked like that? Was it Naito's fault? It was clearly Naito's fault, right? <laughs> you know, this is one of those, it's just one of those weird things that we don't really know. Like, <laughs> I think it was kind of like, you're not going to push me? All right. <laughs> right. I, no push. I'll, I'll just grow this beard out. I'll wear old gear. And then they're like, all right, we're going to push you, give you the belt. What? Okay. Shave, new gear. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what the deal was there. Because when Sonata first got to New Japan, he was hot. And then he got ugly, and then he was hot again, and then he got ugly. And it was, it's been a it's been a yo-yo effect. Mm. <laughs> but he's he's firmly in the hot column, not the not column. Yeah. Uh front of the show, Dan Coffin says was Naito the anchor holding Sonata down. You know what's funny about that? Or maybe we've made this joke, but you know they always say like that beards are like makeup for dudes. They make like ugly dudes look better, but not not Sonata. Yeah, it's the opposite. Yeah, um, and yes, Naito was the anchor that was holding Sonata down. Ended <laughs> <laughs> uh, us PR it says Okada returning for a top heel run or what? Speculate wildly. I would love it. I think that I think it's time for him to embrace the dark side. Yeah, with all the faction shakeups, I would love if he just like got like officially like broke up chaos and like started a whole new thing. That'd be cool. Yeah, maybe Bullet Club, <laughs> Bullet, Rainmaker Bullet Club. <laughs> what if he just like? What if like that's the the real double cross is like at uh, Dontaku? You think that David Finley and Neil P are going to be like the leaders, and then him and Gato link back up and like. It's been a work the whole time. Like it, it was always Okada. It was Okada yeah. the whole time. You wanna know who the fucking Mullen Chaos has been all this time? Okada. Okada's the Mullen Chaos. <laughs> Mystery solved. <laughs> He's like when Jack Nicholson was an informant for, for the feds in uh what's that movie? In uh the the departed. Like oh, yeah. you, you, you never see it coming. <laughs> uh MJ also asks, can you comment on Sonata's blatant disrespect of Doki? How's he nominating old man heel master for a junior title match before our guy? I, you know, I didn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, like, I don't know. It's fine. Well, Doki has bigger fish to fry. Doki's about to beat Naito. I don't think. Punch his ticket to the G1. I don't think he's going to in fact, I think Naito beating Doki is going to be the stepping stone to him winning the world title next. It probably is. People <laughs> uh, are going to be like, what did he do to get a tile shot? I just fucking beat Doki. All right? <laughs> did you not see that? Uh, people probably won't see it because it's going to be on a Road 2 show. 
<laughs> uh, Heavenly Halberd asks, will they actually pull the trigger on Hiromu going heavyweight for real this time? No. Not as long as he's a junior champion. Bro, that's not happening. <laughs> uh, Dr. Larry the Dark, what is the new landscape you seek for New Japan? More juniors challenging heavies? More sub 30 minute main events? A faster paced style? I hope so. We've gotten a lot of changes in a very short amount of time. Most of it's been very positive. And yeah, we've gotten a shorter uh, time length for the big house match, the big match house style matches. And uh, it's been good. Yeah, I like all those changes. And yeah, I hope that is yeah what the, the landscape is like going forward. I kind of feel like Hiromu challenging for the title is the make good for them not giving us Hiromu and Naito. Mm. Yeah, they're probably. like people. People probably been clamped. Like there is a subsect of Lij fans that are like we want Hiromu to challenge the top guy in Lij, and they're like, oh, well, we got that at home, and the one that you got at home is like him and Sonata, <laughs> not him and Hir- not him and Naito. <laughs> Uh, Mark Nato, nineteen ninety. Which of the changes Sonata has made are better or worse? Ring gear, entrance gear, entrance theme, or finisher? Um, all of it's better. Yeah, nothing. Nothing about it's all worse. Everything, yeah, is, is elevated from the, the Cold Skull Lij appearance. Uh, Rainbow Slam Pig says, "Secure Genesis was a strong card from top to bottom. Which match was your favorite overall?" From an in-ring or story perspective, I was thrilled about the tag title match in particular. Yeah, I think the the tag title match was my favorite, um, followed closely by the the women's trio match. But probably, I mean, I thought the main event was on par with all of that. Well, However, what you rate the main event? Four and a quarter plus. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't quite go. Yeah, like four and a quarter ish. Okay. You know, somewhere in between there. But um, from a storytelling standpoint, from a moment, from something that like made me emotionally connect, I was more emotionally invested in Sonata winning the title than I was uh, for for Bishamon to drop the belts to Aussie Open. And I like Aussie Open. I, I'm a big fan of theirs. It, you know what? Earlier, when um, someone asked the question about Pereja getting beat by Adesanya, there was, I very much felt the same way watching this match as I did that one. And yes, this is like in a worked context, but like the whole time I'm just like my stomach's turning because I'm like, Okada might beat this man and I don't want him to. And you're just so nervous the whole match. Bro, when he hit the landslide and he was going for like that combo he, finish. He hit I'm, the Cobra Flosion. Yeah, I'm like, it's done. <laughs> Bro, I got nervous. I got really nervous. So like, I was on pins and needles watching the match. And um, that's how I was watching Pereja fight Adesanya. And I thought Adesanya was about to get knocked out. And then boom, boom, pow, pow, got him out of there. And it's like, oh, shit. And that's exactly how this match was. It, it, there is kind of a cool comparison there. And in both cases, the winner, I thought, was about to lose. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm similar to you from a from a in-ring perspective. The tag title match was my favorite. I went four and a half on that. And then the main event from a story perspective uh, would, would have been my favorite in that way. And I, I also went four and a half on, on that as well. I will say this. I like, just for comparison, um, I kind of like several of the, not all, but several of the Jay White versus Okada matches better than this main event, right? Mm-hmm. And some of those finishes are very similar to the one that they did here. But none of them got me. 
emotionally the way this one did. Like when he got, like when that arm went up, I was like, oh, <laughs> got him. I was like, bro, he fucking, I was like, I was like, he won. He, and like, granted, when the match started and he came out with shiny pants, I was like, He's going to win the title. He's like, it's happening. Dude, but then, that, like, that would have made it even worse if he lost. Like, new music, oh, new gear. Like everything new and lost. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, retire. Like, go home. <laughs> it oh. is time to start a dialogue. <laughs> uh, uh, ethnic Dystopian uh, asks, so do you guys feel like New Japan is, quote, unquote, back after Secure Genesis? Why or why not? I don't want to relitigate the state of new Japan. We had a big discussion about that last week, but you know, it's a transitionary period, but in terms of like the vibe, yeah, new Japan feels healthier and more robust than it has in years. Yeah. But I wouldn't have like secure chances as that turning point. I mean, I feel like the last several months, even like the end of like last year, I felt like things were ramping up. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what, what show it was, but, the last big show prior to this was the one where I was like, damn, this feels like we're back. You know, one of the new beginnings. Maybe the Okada Shingo show. Maybe. No, it wasn't that is probably, um, it's probably the new Japan cup finals. Mm. Honestly. Gotcha. Yeah. Just the crowd was so good. Oh yeah. Yeah, It it was, it was, the Mm -hmm. crowd was so great for that show. And I was like, yeah, this feels like old new Japan. Well, this too. So yeah. Uh, Death Triangle 720 with Secure Genesis in the books. What do you think about the direction of the company? Like I said, we, we had a long discussion about it last week with Karen. There's lots of things we could criticize and, and you know, dissect and everything. And, and we do, and they're valid. But right now, company feels healthy. They're moving in new directions, new stars, new new everything. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm loving the direction right now. Uh, 2023 is, has been great so far for New Japan. Bring yeah. back the red belt. <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of the red belt, that's going to take us in the next thing we're going to talk about real quick. We have a lot of announcements for shows and matches, and one of these announcements is about Kenny Omega, and he will defend the IWGP US title against a tournament winner. Uh, so that we have a uh, tournament coming up with uh, four guys where the winner will face... Just uh, four guys? <laughs> uh, they are just four guys, but not just five guys. Uh, they will face uh, each other off in a tournament where the winner will face Kenny Omega, probably at Forbidden Door, considering the graphic had uh, Forbidden Door artwork. Uh, and the finals will happen um, at Dominion on June 4th. Fourth, the tournament will be Tanahashi, Will Ospreay, Lance Archer, and Juice Robinson. Archer will take on Robinson at Collision in Philadelphia uh, Sunday, April 16th, while Tanahashi will take on Osprey at Resurgence in Long Beach, California, Sunday, May 21st. Then the Archer vs. Robinson and Tanahashi vs. Osprey winners will face off at, Dos- at Dominion in Osaka Joe Hall Sunday, June 4th, where uh, the winner of that will then move on to face Kenny Omega. Thoughts about that? Yeah, uh, this is pretty cool. Um, I was a lot more excited when I misread the poster and I thought that the winner of the tournament was fighting Kenny Omega in Japan at Dominion. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that's not happening, I was a lot, I was pretty disappointed. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, it's, 
it, it also, yeah, because the minion was right by Kenny's face, and, you know, we haven't seen him in Japan since Wrestle Kingdom, uh, but it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, but it's not good, so it is shitty, is what it is. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, this is pretty cool. I mean, um, you know, I guess we'll, we're going to talk about it in the news, but there was the announcement this week that AEW is running um, Wembley Stadium in August. August 27th, yeah. Right, and that's after the G1, right? Yeah, G1 finals are August 13th. Okay. So, I mean, all week I've been talking to you and other people, and there's been a lot of speculation what's, what these two companies are going to do, especially as it pertains to Will and Kenny and these big shows and different booking scenarios and all that. But it feels like this tournament is probably, I'd be surprised if it wasn't, but it's probably leading to Kenny versus Will 2 at Forbidden Door, which mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if they were going that way. It looks like they probably are. And um, that's interesting. But at the same time, I kind of, I don't know. I'm, I am just, I'm very excited if we're getting that match. And I'm, I'm, you know, they've done a good job so far with what they've done between those two gentlemen. But it's not good that the Red Belt has been gone this long. And who knows when it's coming back realistically or like, let's say Kenny retains no matter who it is. When's the next time he's coming to Japan, you know, at the earliest, it's probably going to be G1 finals. Yeah. Probably after that, probably like King of pro wrestling, maybe not even till wrestle kingdom. That's yeah, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Which is the total opposite of what we were, you know, pitching. Not, I mean, the company didn't pitch this, but what we, on this show, we're pitching for the title reign of one Kenneth Omega. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so we'll see what happens with that tournament. Uh, we have two uh, New Japan U.S. shows coming up this weekend. So, uh, Capital Collision in Washington, D.C. will be Saturday, April 15th on Fight TV. We got the West Coast Wrecking Crew, Gerald Nelson, Royce Isaac will take on the TMDK team of Bad Dude, Tito, and Shane Hanks. The Jet Setters, Kevin Knight and Kashia will team up with Gabriel Kidd, Speedball, Mike Bailey, and Voldor Jr. take on Chuck Taylor, Leo Rush, Rocky Romero, Clark Connors, and the DKC. Fred Rosser will take on Rock Hard, Juice Robinson, AR Fox versus David Finley. The NJPW World TV title will be on the line. Zach Sabre Jr. will defend against Filthy Tom Lawler. Tomohiro Ishii will take on El Desperado. The LIJ team of Hiromu and Naito will take on just five guys, Sonata and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Then in the semi-main event, we have the strong open weight title match as Kenta will defend against Eddie Edwards. And then the main event, the strong open weight tag team title three-way match, the Motor City Machine Guns of Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin will defend against the Mega Aces, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada. And the new IWGP Tag Team Champions, Aussie Open, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis. Yeah. What do you think about that card? You know, I don't know, Jeremy. I don't I don't know <laughs> what to think, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I, it doesn't seem... It's not a bad card, per se, but it doesn't seem... To be what we were sold as a bill of goods when they formally announced the new strong brand. Yeah. It seems like we're going to get some bigger matches. 
the whole idea of it was supposed to be quality, not quantity. And we're getting two shows back to back in April that both just seem to be fulfilling, you know, their need to put out content on access and on new Japan world. Like it's going to be good for the people that are there live. And I'm sure, I mean, there are some diamonds in the rough there, you know, um, Zack Sabre versus Tom Lawler sounds awesome. Tomohiro Ishii and El Desperado sounds awesome. But this just reeks of, you know, kind of the shindy sort of side quest, non-canon Western New Japan stuff that we've been talking about. It kind of feels like, like the Impact Multiverse show. Yeah, it's like a it's like Multiverse of Madness Maniacs Part Yeah. Like <laughs> why? Part two, Electric Boogaloogie. Like, I don't I don't know. Well uh, and then here's the thing, like this is this coming weekend. It's two shows back to back, and like we're expected to watch it. I don't know if I want to shell out the money to watch what I basically think are two subpar pay-per-views that really don't fit into the canon of new Japan and not, and most people aren't going to watch them. And then it's like, if there is a big news item, we could just announce it. Like, I don't know, man, like this feels excessive. Why do I have to pay? Why, why is there two pay-per-views in April? Yeah, it's weird. I, I hate the whole, the U S uh, model they're doing right now. Yeah. I don't like this at all. Yeah. So yeah and, the- we, and we love new Japan right. and this is happening. I mean, it's not going to air, but like the 14th, 15th, and 16th, they got three shows in Australia with Tamashi that are running and making tape. And who knows when they air them, but like, you know, so basically in the span of three days, you've got five shows. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so the next night, Sunday, April 16th, will be a collision in Philadelphia. Uh, Delirious will team up with Kevin Knight to take on Desperado and Volador Jr. There's going to be a pure rules match as Hot Sauce Tracy Williams takes on the Android Alex Coughlin. Team Filthies, uh, Gerald Nelson, Royce Isaac, and Tom Waller will take on TMDK's Bad Dude Tito, Shane Hayes, and Zack Sabre Jr. Fred Roster and Rocky Romero will take on Sonata and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. Orange Cassidy, who will be replacing an injured Eddie Kingston, We'll take on Gabriel Kidd. If Cassidy is a champion, the international champion going into this match, it will be a title match against Gabriel Kidd. Uh, we'll have the Bull Club team of Chase Owens and Kenta versus Hiromu and Tetsuya Naito. Semi-main event will be the first uh, U.S. title number one contendership tournament match, Lance Archer versus Juice Robinson. And then the main event will be Leo Rush, Tomohiro Ishii, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Versus the United Empires, Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis, and TJP. So, yeah. so Yeah, my comments from the first night, copy and paste. Yeah, very very similar field. Um, yeah, and, and I don't know. Maybe these shows, I there's nothing here that tells me that the, the talent is going to be hard-pressed to go out there and give you a blow-away show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These are small houses. You know, they don't fit into the canon of the company. They're going to, it's not going to be a big deal. And that's not what we were sold or told when they announced the relaunching of New Japan Strong. They made it sound like these were going to be major shows, like the Walter Pyramid show that they're going to be doing soon. Like everything would be probably around that sort of level. This is not that. 
yeah, even more like Battle in the Valley earlier this year. You you had a world title main event of um, you know Okada uh, defending the title there. Right, exactly. Something along those lines, and you know what? Why is there two nights? Why are they doing you know Capital Collision and new, you know Collision in Philadelphia? That just seems excessive. And aside from the fact that like Okada and Tanahashi are in that big tag match the first night, I don't know. Most of this just seems unnecessary. Yeah, and that's not what you want. <laughs> For, you don't want the New Japan podcast that exclusively covers new japan and be like yeah it seems unnecessary <laughs> it's not a good feeling yeah uh also uh coming up hiroki goto's 20th anniversary event saturday april 22nd so in the main event is going to be goto teaming up with yoshihashi and yo to take on evil yudro and show from house of torture also on that card you'll have naito shingo and hiromu and bushi against sonata taichi kanamaru and doki Okada Tanahashi and Ishii and Makabe against Suzuki, Despi, Narita, and Tiger Mask. Finley, Kenta, Ishimori, and Gato versus Tamatanga, Hikaleo, Master Wato, and Chota Umino. Aaron Hanare, Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis against Zack Sabre Jr., Shane Hayes, Mikey Nichols, and Kosei Fujita. Tenzan, Kushida, and Kevin Knight against Great Okan, TJP, and Francisco Kira. And then Toriano, Oleg Bolton versus Oscar Lube and Roy Oiwa. Then uh, Road to Wrestling Don Taku, April 27th, will have the aforementioned uh, to see a Naito versus Doki match. Also, the junior tag team titles will be on the line. Catch 2-2 will defend against the Jet Setters, Kevin Knight and Kushida. And then there will also be a junior heavyweight title match as Hiromu will defend against Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Uh, then on April 29th, we got uh, Wrestling Satsuma no Kuni. Uh, where we'll have Bishamon take on Oleg Bolton and Toriano. Oscar Lube and Umino will take on Evo and Udro. The Jet Setters and Hanma will take on uh, Iron Hanare and Catch 2-2. Great Okan Jeff Cobb will take on Fujita and ZSJ. Okada, Ishii, and Tanahashi and Oiwa will take on Strong Style and Yuta Nakashima. The Bull Club team of Finley, Gato, Kenta, and Ishimori will take on Hikaleo, Jado, Tamatanga, and Master Wato. LIJ, Bushi, Hiromu, and Naito will take on just five guys, Doki, Sonata, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. The semi-main event will be the IWGP Tag Team title match, Aussie Open, in their first defense against TMDK's Mikey Nichols and Shane Hayes. And then the main event will be a provisional KOPW title match, Shingo versus Taichi. And then that takes us to the announced card for Wrestling Don Taku, May 3rd. We're going to have a five-minute Young Lion consecutive battle match with Oiwa, Nakashima, Oscar Lube, and Oleg Bolton. Then we've got the Chaos team of Goto, Toriano, Yo, and Yoshihashi against the House of Torture. Great Okan and Aussie Open against uh, Kosei Fujita and Nichols and Hayes. The Jet Setters will team up with Shota Umino to take on Aaron Hanare and Catch 2-2. Bushi, Shingo, and Naito versus Doki, Taichi, and Kanamaru. Kenta versus Hikaleo. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Jeff Cobb. The never openweight six-man tag team titles on the line as Strong Style will defend against Kazuchika Okada and two partners of his choice. The never openweight title will be on the line. Tamatanga will defend against David Finley. And then the main event, the IWGP World Heavyweight title will be on the line. Sonata will defend against Hiromu Takahashi. What do you think about all those upcoming uh, cards? A lot to unpack. <laughs> 
Um, but some pretty cool stuff there. I mean, um, you know, Naito and Doki sounds fun. Um, Catch Two Two have been having an incredible um, junior title run. So them against the Jet Setters probably going to really be awesome. Hiromu and Kanemaru, that's a great way to get another uh, title defense and, and quality opponent for Hiromu in his quest for 12. Um, obviously, TMDK and Aussie Open, that's an all-Aussie affair, and that's uh, a really, really cool match. And it's going to be it's pretty rare to see a title match where it's all foreigners like that. So mm-hmm. that's another big deal, especially the fact that they're all Australian. And, you know, TMDK does hold that win over Aussie Open from this past year's World Tag League. So uh, looking to kind of capitalize on what they've done in the past against them. Shingo and Taichi, I'm, it's always good. It's just I'm surprised that they're doing it again. And it'll be interesting to see what the stipulations are. But every time they wrestle each other, it's blow away. And then uh, with Dantaku, that five-minute Young Lion consecutive match screams that they're going to put Bolton through the ringer, and he's probably going to run through these guys. So that's, you know, I, I don't know exactly what it will be, but it sounds cool. And then uh, the rest of the card for Dantaku, honestly, it's not the strongest card necessarily, but there's some good stuff there, and Sonata and Hiromu at the top. And Tamatonga, Dave Finley, that's all going to be very interesting, to say the least. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, I'm going to guess that uh, ZSJ will retain against Tom, and then the Jeff Cobb match will turn into a uh, TV title match. Hmm. You said he's going to retain against Cobb? Against Tom Lawler this weekend. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, I misheard you. And then they'll turn the Cobb match into a title match. Right, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And if that is the case, that makes more sense and makes the card a, a bit stronger, actually, in that case. Yeah. Yeah, overall, um, it should be fun, though. Yeah, so a lot to look forward to. Let's jump into the news here. Uh, New Japan, All Japan, and Pro Wrestling Noah are set to make an announcement soon. Um, on social media Saturday night, the three promotions uploaded the same video to their social media accounts. The video, which only lasts 15 seconds, shows the word restart, unite everyone's power again and again. It ended with the the message announcement coming up in three days. The video gave the date of April 12th. Um, So it looks like they're most likely doing some version or variation of the the famous altogether cards that they ran back in like 2010, 2011, following those tsunamis that... Uh, you know, had hit uh, Japan and everything, the earthquakes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Hawaiian Punch BB did say, with all with altogether three looking like a potential show, what match do you want to see? I don't know. It's hard to fancy book for these um, kind of Especially cards. There's three, three companies. Right, and we've seen a lot of multi-man tags on these things, so I don't want to throw out all these, you know, dream singles matches when it's going to be a show full of, you know, eight man and 10 man tags. I, I, yeah. But you know, I'd like to see some of the tip top guys mix it up and Hey, maybe there's a chance that this would be a good way to get the Kiyomiya Okada shit going once again. Right. Yeah. You could do a rematch there. I mean, potentially have Kiyomiya get a win back. Now that Okada's not the champion. Well, even if it's not a singles match, you know, you can run a match that involves them that heats up the, the rivalry and maybe leads to a bigger match somewhere down the line, you know? Yeah. 
Um, in other news, so we'll look forward to that. Um, Aaron Hanari and Shingo Takagi re- received a 5.25 star rating from Dave Meltzer this past week. So congrats to those guys. Um, it was revealed last week that Clark Connors has signed a new contract with NJPW. So that's cool. And then finally, Rocky Romero is pushing the idea for a show in Arena Mexico featuring talent from CMLL, New Japan, AEW, Impact, and the Indies, which that would be really cool to see something like that happen. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. And it looks like um, Volador is getting ready to challenge Rocky for the historic welterweight you know, world championship over there. So Yeah. Well, that's it for the news, and that takes us to some uh, questions here. Last question, 7252 says, Who are you guys' early prediction to win Best of Super Juniors? From the tag match, I have Yo and Desperado as either the finalists from each other's block or in the same block to determine who goes to the finals. I wouldn't mind seeing Wato also go to the finals but lose to crawl back to being the top contender against Hiromu and possibly being the one to dethrone Hiromu at next year's Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, yeah, I think that... Sounds good. Um, I mean, I think my early favorite pick just in general is probably Desperado. Mm-hmm. I think he's, a, I mean, there's a lot of guys that you could have win and be elevated, but then they're going to probably most likely lose to Hiromu since he's in the midst of this 12 defense record series. So I don't know how, how much good that does them, but I think like Desperado, he's won the tournament, what, just the one time before. Mm-hmm, yeah. And he's kind of one of the figureheads and staple guys in the division. Plus him and Hiromu have all that history. I think he wins Super Juniors. He challenges. Big, big marketable, big money match. And then he loses to Hiromu in his title shot at Dominion. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, There's not really anybody else I feel like is kind of ready to, to win the tournament right now. So, yeah, I think going with the established guy in Despy is probably the best bet. Or if they wanted to like do something out of left field that's kind of like reminiscent of old school New Japan, they could give an outsider a win, which they haven't done in a long time. Maybe El Lindemann. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, next question from Yasmin. Any hopes for Super Junior entrance? Who, who would you like to see in it? Any hopeful guests? Follow up from that last question. If you could get any guests in Best Super Juniors this year, regardless of likelihood, who would it be? Well, the good thing is, I think, uh, I, I can't remember what date they said, but I think it was like the 24th or the 27th. What there's One of those shows that are coming up, they're going to announce the... Uh, the April 27th uh, show. Okay, so the road to Don Taco on April 27th, we're going to find out the entrance. So, you know, we don't have to wait too, too long. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I liked a lot of the guys they had in the tournament last year, honestly. Yeah, last year's field was great. Um, I mean, I would I would love to see like uh, Bandito back. Um, that'd be uh, fun to get him back in there. There's yeah, Band. Well, that's gonna be tough because doesn't he do? Doesn't he work AAA? Uh, I I don't know where he where he works in Mexico. Yeah, it's uh, that that one's kind of in the the shaky territory, but um, I definitely think like uh, Soberano Junior seemed like a guy that might be able to get entry this year. Yeah, that would be cool. Um. um Kushida, can Kushida work as Super Juniors, please? Like, <laughs> yeah, can we get him back in Japan? <laughs> can he come back to Japan and work? <laughs> he he's a guy that could actually win the tournament, and and you know, I I, I want to see him and Hiromu run it back. That's another one that no one's talking about, but like they have so much history and so many great matches, and like I would love to see that, you know. 
yeah, that's definitely a, a sleeper pick there. Uh, but like, if 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 you could get, I mean, we we've done this question so many times. Like, if it's going to be someone that you can get, but is definitely not going to be in it, then it's going to be like Vikingo. Yeah, it's going to be someone from AAA or it's going to be someone from WWE. Um, if we're opening that forbidden door to like the other big companies, uh, Amakusa would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Or like Junior Hayato or some of the guys that were on the All Star Junior Festival. That'd be really cool. Soon Skywalker. Oh, that'd be <laughs> so cool. Um, JML is Despy the odds-on favorite best Super Juniors? I think yeah, we. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. He says, also, do you think Francisco Akira has a shot to be the junior ace down the road? Maybe. Uh, he's got a lot of fire, a lot of personality. He's a very good wrestler, so possibly. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I guess from a foreign perspective, yeah, I'll see from a domestic perspective that won't work out, but maybe he could be like the top foreign guy. Uh, Barry Wall says, with Shibata winning the ROH Pure title, should Narita go heel, change his character, and win the belt? As much as I like Ren Narita and his gimmick, as long as Shibata is out there having matches, he will always come off across as the Lenny, Lenny Kravitz to Shibata's Jimi Hendrix, and a copy is never as good as the real thing. What are your thoughts? I, I have noticed, and I don't want to be that guy, but, you know, since he got back to Japan, this he's not sporting the, uh, you know, same physical condition as he had prior to his, you know, return to Japan, if you know what I'm saying. Man's Narita. looking a little pudgy. Narita? Yeah. I haven't noticed. Looks, looks about the same to me. I, I've noticed. I've noticed. And um, I don't know. I mean, Shibata's not even in New Japan, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would agree with you if the man worked for the company. But as long as he's in another company, you know, it, it's, you know, it's like comparing Sting to the Ultimate Warrior. They don't work the same company, you know? <laughs> Uh, Martin Nato, nineteen ninety. Do you think Kushida could win the Impact title, or is he just a body for a title match for Macklin to pin and win the title? I don't know. Steve Macklin sounds like the lamest fucking name for any wrestler <laughs> I've ever heard of in my entire life. So I can't imagine you even would want to put the title on a dude named Steve Macklin. They could be like. You know, a Luthes level all-time talent, and their name's fucking Steve Macklin. You know, it sounds like Burt Macklin. Extra, from like, extra regular. <laughs> yeah, it's extra regular. Put the title on Kushida. Stop playing games. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Who is who's who's Steve Macklin? He's a dude from the uh, Forgotten Sons. Uh, Bro, if if he was in Forgotten Sons, I don't even know which of the Forgotten Sons, but that's how much I forgot him. He should not be a world champion. Uh, hold on, let me pull up which which guy. Kurt Angle held that title, sir. Samoa Joe held that title. Yeah, Bobby Roode <laughs> held that belt. What are we doing here? EC3 held that title. Bully <laughs> Ray held that title. <laughs> I think they should. I mean, I don't know if I was them. I oh, he he was Steve Cutler in the Forgotten, Forgotten Sons in NXT. Ew, they're gonna make Steve Cutler their world champion. Hell no. <laughs> what are they doing? That's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, man. Bro, you went from... Uh, Josh Alexander. Yeah, I was going to say Josh Woods, but that's not right. Yeah, you went from uh, Josh Alexander to... That's his name, right? Josh yeah. Alexander? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I'm just I'm tired. Yeah, to go from Josh Alexander to Steve Macklin, that seems like the biggest downgrade. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 would, like, I, I would go with Kushida. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's go to our recommended uh, match of the week and close the show out here. So last week for the excursion match, I recommended United Empire versus Time Machine from the WrestleCon Super Show this year. Yeah, uh, I was able to finally procure a copy of this match and um, and this show, and this was good. Um, but you know, it's kind of what we talked about. This crowd was not into this match, just like uh, a lot of the matches throughout the weekend. Um, very good trios match. These six guys worked together a lot, you know, very well. Um, I thought that. Uh, Time Machine just kind of being like the bump guys for Aussie Open as being monster heels. That was a great dynamic. And then, you know, them showing, you know, then them flipping it on them and having uh, um, United Empire kind of show ass for them was really fun and very fast, very high octane, fast paced, very good match. But on this card, on this night in the middle of the, the, the card with a disinterested crowd, I mean, I don't know. Probably go like three and a half, but the work was probably better than that. Mm. Did um, you see it? I haven't watched it yet. I did see it. There's a um, it's out there, so I need to to watch it. It was good. It was really good. Um, Jeff Cobb was throwing all those dudes around like it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it was really awesome. And um, you know, anytime he like does all that stuff where he's busting out all his power moves on little guys, I'm gonna always pop for that. Yeah, the match was great, but um. You know, ultimately, it's just a disinterested crowd, which kind of really brings things down a bit, you know? Yeah. But uh, United Empire did pick up the win here, defeating Time Machine. 16 minutes, 35 seconds. It was a good WrestleMania weekend-style match. Nice. Um, Then for the recommended match, he chose for me to watch uh, Tiger Mask versus um, Kobayashi uh, from the Golden Series. Uh, I think it was 98. 1983, uh, January 6th. Um, uh, fun matchup. Um, you know, it wasn't quite as high flying as typical uh, Tiger Mask matches were. And I don't know the full story of the match, but it did kind of seem like it was kind of a mirror match, kind of like whatever you can do, I can do better. So there's a lot of like grappling uh, throughout the match, and these guys kind of trying to out wrestle each other. And then it got to the point where like they were trying to out kick each other. And then they were trying to outdive each other, and like they were both kind of evading each other's dives, and then hitting the dives on each other. Um, and kind of um, towards the end of the match, it really started picking up, getting a little bit more faster pace. Tiger Mask had this kind of this cool drop kick thing. I don't even know how to describe it. It was like a moonsault drop kick thing, and it was awesome. And the crowd was getting really um, into the match, getting behind it, and then um, Tiger Mask hit a, a big uh, move to Kobayashi on the outside, and he got the the count out win. Yeah, so yeah, count out win, nineteen eighties <laughs> baby. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but it it was a fun match. I wouldn't necessarily say it was like a great match, uh, but it, it was good good watch. Nice. Well, what do you have for me for the recommended match of the week? Uh, we're going to go back to Wrestling Dontaku 2015. Hiroki Goto versus Shinsuke Nakamura. 
Nice. And I think I'm going to throw us back just a tad bit. Uh, there was a big match that had happened earlier this year. We kind of skipped over it and, you know, I wasn't really sure what excursion match to go with. because So many have been happening lately. So when in doubt, you call up your blood, you call up, no, explain. <laughs> you pull a quick cage match and you find Will Ospreay and you see what he's been up to outside of Dutra. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was a match that got uh, four and three quarters from Wrestling Observer Newsletter all the way back in December of late last year. We're going to your call, Rev Pro. Repro Uprising 2022 main event match. Will Ospreay taking on Tomohiro Ishii. Oh, yeah. I forgot that match happened. Yeah. We never watched it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Be happy to check out a Will uh, Ishii match. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's got to be good, right? It's Will Ospreay versus Tomohiro Ishii. I can't imagine that being anything but good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, four and three quarters sounds about right. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, Dave. It's a little bit of a rating slut, you know? <laughs> well, uh, that's going to wrap things up for us here this week. Next week, we'll be back to uh, cover all this news in New Japan, all these happenings coming out from these uh, collision shows and moving into the Wrestling Dantaku Tour. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're at Social Suplex. You can also join the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb Baldwin and Maserati. All Things Elite, with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Summerwitz. The AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam Brown. And Meet the Press Slam, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.